First time I saw her, and I, I didn't even at the time really look up who it was, but it was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I was very pumped for the Sorkin follow-up to the West Wing. You know, we had Brad Whitford reteaming. We had Matt Perry coming back to TV. And she was the assistant, Suzanne. And if you've ever been in drama, like I I, I was in drama very uh, on a very limited basis in high school, but she played kind of the drama kid perfectly like a little like bizarrely expressive but just so it was so genuine and I was like oh I, I don't know if I'll ever see her again because the show's not going anywhere but she was good and then it, it took a little bit I saw her in Michael Clayton like 2007 ish and I was love like, that movie oh yeah that's a really good that's a movie that nobody talks about too like nobody Such ever a brings that phenomenal out. film yeah and she was a she was a bit in that and then I really didn't see her for a while, and then she started popping up, you know, bit parts and things like The Good Wife. Um, I want to say she did a handful of episodes in New Girl, but then I started I started to see her getting into, like, really good stuff again, starting with Godless. Did you see the Jeff Daniels Godless? You know, I started, that's the Western that yep. was on Netflix, right? Yep. Yeah. I started watching that, and then I stopped and was like, I need to pick this up again, and like many things on Netflix, have not had the chance to do that. Right, yeah. I, it's, it's like there's almost too much shit to watch right now. No uh, shit. But, uh, and she just got nominated for her performance in Unbelievable. That's the Tony Collette, Caitlin Deaver uh, show. So she right. just got... That's on my list as well. Yep, yep, me too. And I haven't seen her in that, but she did just get dropped a nomination today, so I'm pumped for her. Like, she's she seems to be one of those character actresses, one of those working actresses that just continues to get herself in position to be in good stuff, and then... She's just good. Like there's there's nothing showy about her performances. She's just good. And I think that that's why she's going to be in that really good category of like always in demand character actor for the rest of her career. And and maybe she'll get that chance to shine, but like she's just she's going to have a long career. She was great in Welcome to Marwin even though it was a subpar movie, but she kind of reminds me of a potential next Kathy Bates. I say that, you know, like she's a very, very good actress, but Kathy Bates is on a whole like other level. Right. Because Kathy Bates is so amazing, but she could get there. I really think. Yeah. Like, and could be that kind of character actress. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely watching her career. She was good in marriage story. Yeah. i still, I wanted to hit play on that all weekend and just did not. There's too much shit, man. So much out. Good so God. much out. But most importantly, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, this is the Christmas episode of Cigarette Burns with Jed and Cole. What's going on? Well, I am. <laughs> also, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, everything. Um, we are very, very excited. We've been actually working harder on this Christmas episode <laughs> than we've worked on an episode in a while. Like we chose yeah, a movie. That's true. We chose a movie today that we are we both love. I think most people love it. But uh, we are going to talk about... If you about, don't, you're wrong. Yeah, you are wrong. This is one of those where like everybody can have their opinion. But if your opinion is that this is not a good movie, which we're going to get into because that is an opinion out there, you're just, you're just wrong. Um, and that doesn't mean that there aren't things in this film 
that are problematic or that there aren't issues with certain parts or that there's some storytelling sort of uh, liberties, but it's perfect in its imperfection. It's a great film. Yes, it is. It's a spectacular film. It is, well, it's all around us, much like (laughs) Christmas. It is all around us. We are obviously talking about Love Actually, the Richard Curtis classic. But before we can get into that, today was a big day in awards stuff, which is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association did their best to give us nominations of the best achievement in television and film this year. And to no one's surprise, the nominations were both boring and predictable. I don't know. But what did you think, bud? Interesting. Once Upon a Time as a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Okay. Uh, Interesting one there. Rocket Man getting a nomination in that category. Another interesting one. Um, Caitlin Deaver not getting the nomination, but Beanie Feldstein getting it for Booksmart. I would have swapped those. I was a little surprised, too. And and this is is something that was interesting because Caitlin Deaver did get a nomination for Unbelievable. And one of the things that the Hollywood Foreign Press does that pisses me off is they really seem to wait stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I can't help but think because they seem to be the body that is most like sometimes I wonder if they watch the shit or if they just <laughs> or if they're just like what kind of what kind of parties did I go to? <laughs> but I think they may have been like, well, Booksmart was a really good movie, which I totally agree. And I have no problem with nominations for Beanie Feldstein or Caitlin Deaver in that film. But I'm with you. I thought Caitlin Deaver's performance was better. Uh, the Beanie Feldstein, but I think they looked at it and went, well, we already gave Caitlin one for this, so Beanie, here you go, and and we're good. But You know that movie America's Sweethearts with John Cusack and Julia Roberts? and Yes, I do. I think that's 100% true as to what those, um, whatever they call them. Press the, junkets? Uh, exactly. The press junket, exactly like that. So they're coming out of that going, yeah, you know what? Battleship, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> that... That Michael Bay, that best director. <laughs> that Michael Bay, I'll tell you, it's storyteller. Yeah. So, no, the only other big one is, kind of feels like vindication for me, Lion King getting best animated. <laughs> I couldn't wait to talk to you about this today. Motherfucker ain't live action. It is animated. When you have only one frame in your film that is real, and you're like, <laughs> we just threw that in there just to see if people would notice, well, that's an animated movie. That's exactly what that is. There were no real people in this film. There was just animation. Just because it looks better than Beauty and the Beast from the fucking 90s doesn't mean that it's, this is real, live action, there's people here. You did not get those lions to do that shit, okay? They just they just did it because you made them do it because you animated them. There you go. What I am hoping is that the Hollywood Foreign Press is trolling Disney with that nomination because I'm pretty <laughs> sure... That Lion King did not put themselves up for best animated for the Oscars, <laughs> so for the for for the Golden Globes, we like, but animated. So I'm starting to wonder if you're a member of the HFPA, Jed, and you haven't told me. That's gonna that's gonna strain this relationship just from a screener standpoint. <laughs> and quick question for you: uh-huh. best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy? Emma Thompson for Late Night. Yeah. I saw that. Um, okay. I, I I just don't get like, and did anyone see Where'd You Go Bernadette? Now, obviously, Kate Blanchett is perfect in everything. Yeah. But I heard zero people talk about that movie. 
I think the best actress category in general is one of the biggest wild cards this year, particularly at the Golden Globes, since the person who's been winning like all the critics awards right now or seems to be the leader in the clubhouse with the critic stuff is Lupita Nyong'o for us. And she got completely snubbed for yes, she did. Uh, for the Golden Globes. And like even looking at motion picture drama, uh, I have not seen Bombshell yet. And that's one of the reasons, uh, guys. So if, if it seems like our takes are a little sort of open-ended, it's because we haven't seen some of these movies yet. And I don't want to sit here and say, oh, yeah, this movie's great. I've heard. Um, you know, that, that doesn't do much. So when we're talking about things like Cats, um, Little Women I haven't been able to see yet, Bombshell hasn't come out yet, um, things like that. I'm not saying that the nominations aren't deserved, but like you look at Judy, Renee Zellweger got nominated. I haven't really heard anybody talk about Judy. The only thing I've heard about it from a couple people were the movie itself is very subpar to mediocre, but she's amazing in it. But I'm also confused as to how Judy isn't a musical or comedy. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, maybe they don't ever sing. I don't know, because Judy Garland didn't do that kind of stuff. Come on. Um, but um. <laughs> like like Emma Thompson for musical or comedy, like I'm I'm fine with it. But I'm also sort of like I was sort of ambivalent about the movie. I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed watching it, but it was another one of those like I don't really see there being a, a necessary nomination out of this, which is the same for like Daniel Craig and Knives Out. I really liked Knives Out. I think Knives Out does deserve nominations. I'm not entirely sure. I, and I thought Daniel Craig, I mean, anybody who heard my review of it knows that I think Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas stole that movie and were mm-hmm. great. But, you know, when you're looking at who's going to make the five at the Oscars, I really don't think, you know, that's got a shot. So I think that Emma Thompson is sort of in that category, which we're going to talk a lot about Emma Thompson tonight because she's a perfect actress. Yes, we are. But this is one of those like, I'm glad to see she's nominated. Awesome. All I got to say is that J-Lo better get used to saying, well, it's just nice to be nominated <laughs> because there's no way she's winning supporting actress for Hustlers. She's a very good actress. I-, I love her in pretty much everything she's in. I don't see why she fucking got nominated for that movie. Well, and I just don't see it. The The writing on the wall that I'm reading is that Laura Dern is... This is kinda, she's amazing in Marriage Story. This yes. is this is her... Yes. I don't want to say cakewalk because anybody can, can steal it, but this is the... Uh, J.K. Simmons year where you were like there's zero fucking chance he was going to lose for Whiplash and that's sort of what the the tea leaves are saying on Laura Dern for Marriage Story so the only wild card there has got to be for me Kathy Bates because I haven't seen Richard Jewell yet but that seems like a perfect role for her so I don't know how many people have actually seen this movie to even be able to say her how her performance is so yeah, I've, I've heard, like, again, from a couple of people that just saw some screeners, which it's just been screening in, like, the last week, um, that it's a really good movie. I'm always excited for Paul Walter Hauser. I think he's definitely one of the best up-and-coming actors of the last few years. I've heard that Sam Rockwell is very good. Like I said, I don't want to say yay or nay, but Richard Jewell is one of those movies that's probably going to cause a little more controversy, uh, given Clint Eastwood's outward politics and the subject matter than even something like Bombshell. So I, I'm interested to see how that movie's received. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if it went the way of, like, American Sniper. Yeah, you know, and I'm also surprised Paul Walter Hauser did not get nominated for Cobra Kai Season 2. He is the breakout star in that se- second season. When he played Sean Eckhart in I, Tanya, that was... It was hard for me not to Google 
in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. who the hell is playing Sean Eckhart? I this yeah. is this is the guy who's dominating his scenes. Like, and, and that was a movie though that I had issues with only from an editing standpoint. I thought the performances across the board in Itania were great, but I was just like, holy cow, he is dunking on Sebastian Stan, who I think is really good, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, wait till you see him in season two of Cobra Kai because he steals that. But uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, I thought some of the snubs were no female directors in a year that's been heralded as as a great year in female direction. There were none nominated. Um, That's sort of a thing with the Hollywood Foreign Press. And I... I've not seen enough movies to say this is who I would strip out, this is who I would put in, anything like that. I can just say that I know Alma Harrell has been getting a lot of love from uh, Honey Boy. I know The Farewell's been getting a lot of love. Um, so I, I'm interested to see you know, how they're going to respond to what is undoubtedly going to be additional criticism there. I am shocked Ava DuVernay's When They See Us got nothing. I mean, it raked at the Emmys. Raked. And it was like, oh, it's When They See Us in Chernobyl. Like, that's... The, those yeah. are the ones going uh, going toe-to-toe. And so it got nothing. No acting. Anything. Lupita Nyong'o, we mentioned earlier, has been uh, kind of winning a bunch of stuff for us. She didn't get nominated. And Bobby D didn't get nominated at all uh, for no. The Irishman, which his history with uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press is well-known. Uh, he thinks that they're kind of a pile of shit organization. So I'm not surprised that he didn't necessarily get nominated. I still would expect him to get nominated at the Oscars. Oh, I think he definitely will. That's going to be, that's a tough one to call, man. Well, we're going to get there. But uh, the most important nomination, and this is this is the last thing I have to say about the Golden Globes, is Russell Crowe nominated for The Loudest Voice. Obviously. Come on, baby. Come on. Who's he up against in that category? Uh, you know, Jared Harris. Uh, is is my fear on Chernobyl there? That's going to be a tough one, yeah. Yeah. It, That's going to be a tough one, man. And the thing with, and you and I have had this discussion, is I really like The Loudest Voice, but he is, in my opinion, so far out distancing most of the people he's in scenes with that it makes the the show as a whole seem a little less than. That being said, it did get nominated along with Catch-22, Chernobyl, Fosse Verdon, and Unbelievable for a Best Limited Series. So um, he is also up against Sam Rockwell, Sasha Baron Cohen, and Chris Abbott for Catch-22. So it's a... That's a tough... Look, that's a tough category. That's just kind of stacked because yeah. I've heard that Sasha Baron Cohen is awesome in The Spy and Chris Abbott and Catch-22. Haven't really heard much about, but I did hear the series was good. Yeah. And Sam Rockwell, we know what he brings to the table. That's a tough one. Like, obviously, RC can go against anyone and go toe-to-toe. I think... If the material was a little better, it might have pushed him above, like over the edge. But I, Chernobyl's so fucking good. I, I, I kind of with you. I think Harris is probably has the best chance to, to beat him. Yeah, I've just, uh, it was so good for me to see Russell Crowe in something that like he was passionate about and was all over. It isn't to say that he wasn't like in the Nice Guys. Just nobody saw it. I still can't believe nobody saw the Nice Guys. But uh, this was, I thought, a very, very excellent performance. Um, not that I, I, I think, you know, if he was terrible in something, I think the worst I could say was, uh, I liked it still. But uh, I thought he was great in Loudest Voice. So pumped to see him get his nom. But past that, uh, you know, the Golden Globes sort of did what they do, which is a whole bunch of nothing. 
So we'll see what Ricky Gervais does. Uh, I'm not entirely sure he's as relevant today as he was uh, back, what, four years ago? Maybe it was the last time he hosted something like that. But I was surprised Bill Hader got nominated not for Barry, but for Noel. I know. Oh, God, dude. (laughs) Brutal movie. Like, I can't even give it a number because I only made it 30 minutes through Noel. Yeah, it's so bad. And man. I and it's I want so you to bad. know, I watched those thirty minutes for you. I appreciate that. I, I did that I for you? That's friendship right there. Yeah. Oh, I oh, like that. Oh, I know. I'm gonna collect. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you ready to kick things off here? You ready to get the Christmas season going? Oh, just surround me with love. Throughout the years, working title films and writer Richard Curtis have captured the euphoria, hysteria, and humiliation of love. With the films Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones's Diary. Join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. 20 years ago, you'd have been just his time. (laughs) (laughs) As they explore that time of year, when desires are revealed. I'm in love. Aren't you that young to be in love? No. Um, oh, okay. Secrets are exposed. Your secretary is very pretty. Is she? Be careful there. And chances are finally taken. All I want for Christmas is you. Universal Pictures invites you. What's the best sex you've ever had? Britney Spears. No, only kidding. <laughs> she was rubbish. To take everything you know about love. You have this kind of problem? Yeah, of course you did, you saucy mings. And multiply it by eight. Would you excuse me for one second? Okay, that's done. Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, Colin Firth, Laura Linney, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Rowan Atkinson, Kira Knightley. Christmas is the time to be with the people you love. Yeah, I need a car. This holiday season. Uh, does Natalie live here? All you need. Oh. Hello. Is love actually. Are you seeing cows? I suppose I could. Please. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen When the snow lay round about deep and crisp and deep I just want to watch the movie right now. Let's start. Let's actually start real quick before we get lost in the web. Talk about the music. The music in this movie is so, so good. And pivotal. It's just, it's so perfect. You got the Beach Boys at the end. You got music throughout that's just just great. Well, and the score and the soundtrack are really yes. really good. Yes. You know, and, and that's that's nice. Like I I love it when the score drives home a lot of the scenes because this movie. Before we get too deep into it, I mean, how many scenes does it have? Two, three hundred thousand scenes. Uh, that's yeah. I think that's the final cut. Yeah. I mean, who knows I, what the director's cut has? I mean, it is. It's scene to scene to scene to scene. There are a bunch of shorties. And I think the score is what takes you through because there's a half a dozen scenes that have no speaking. It just focused mm-hmm. on somebody and and the music really sets the tone as it's supposed to for those scenes. But 
Oh, dude, I love this movie. I watched it. When we decided a few weeks ago we were going to do it, I just threw it on. Like, Jess and I just threw it on in the background because I could watch this movie once a week and be fine with it. I read, actually, that he had four other couples and, like, two got cut out of the script and they just decided, like, they filmed a couple scenes for the other ones, but it just kind of didn't work and stuff like that. I mean, he had to cut them for time, so... The man, Richard Curtis, knows how to write this kind of shit. He does. This is his bread and butter. This is his pocket. This is my mom's, I would say, favorite movie. I mean, she watches this thing on a fucking loop. I bought her the DVD. And you remember how like a VHS tape would start to break after a while? Yeah. Didn't know that could happen with the DVD, <laughs> but evidently it did. Because she puts it in the drive now and it's like, uh, no. No. no, we're we're no. Just well, you gotta on, wait man. at least another hour. <laughs> Bump her up, get her the Blu-ray. Come on, son. Yeah, that's true. That's actually I might have bought her the Blu-ray. That might be the Blu-ray DVD combo. I was I was being a good son there, but no, <laughs> she loves it. She can watch it over and over again. Can we go back to I was being a good son, mom? <laughs> mom, I just want you to know, I love you. Thank you for everything. I know you. Thank love you for this. everything. I know you love this movie. So what I decided to do was check this out. I got you this movie. Some people would just get it on DVD. Some people would just get it on Blu-ray, but no. I got you the DVD-Blu-ray combo. I got you the combo. You're welcome. Where's That's my right. Where's my yams? Get me my yams. <laughs> exactly. And you can also <laughs> download it on Voodoo, the digital version, if you want. So here you go. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- this thing is so inherently Christmas to me. And there is there are so many people online. And I think it's... I don't even want to give them credit for being so many. I think it's just trolls get retweeted. But the people are like, let's talk about why Love Actually is actually a bad movie. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I don't have time for that kind of bullshit. It's so like the antithesis of the film, too. Like, why focus on the negativity? Like, honestly, the opening monologue uh, delivered by Hugh Grant's character, uh, Prime Minister David, from the writing and delivery standpoint, it's it's perfect. And it talks about the exact thing that you're talking about, just the opposite. Like... When people, you know, were about to die, I, know, I don't want to bring everything down because he references 9-11 when the Twin Towers were going down and, like, when people were, uh, you know, maybe making their last calls or whatever, they weren't being negative. The world wasn't filled with hatred. It was calls of love and all that kind of – and all that goodness. And that really sets the tone for this film in the very beginning and sets it off where you're like, this is – I'm going to feel good in this movie, but this movie is not afraid to talk about sad things. Right. And, and not just for the purpose of being sad, because it's also trying to be real about what, what life is. And it does such a great job of going through those tonal shifts of one scene that's pure comedy to, you know, 10 seconds later, you're into this deep, depressing kind of thing. But it, it works. Oh, and yeah. Richard Curtis is a master and the direction is directing is so underrated in this film because it's not an easy thing to do at all. Well, and for those of you who might not be familiar with Richard Curtis... Uh, this guy, his big bursting on the scene was four weddings and a funeral in 1994. And it's kind of, yep. cra- it's kind of crazy for me to think like this was 2003. So in nine years between 1994 and 2003, first of all, we got introduced to Hugh Grant in four weddings and a funeral. And that yep. movie, I just watched that again a couple of months ago. That stands up. That's great. Um, but he did four weddings. Then he did Notting Hill. Then, then he did Bridget Jones's diary. And Love Actually, all of those in nine years. Crazy. And that's, I mean, writing, that's, my understanding is it's a bit of a process. Um, Yeah. And and I think you brought up an excellent point with respect to, you know, when it was made and what it's referencing. Because, obviously, September 11th, 2001, 
uh, is referenced in the monologue, this movie was developed in 2002. I mean, it was released in November of 2003. It finished shooting, I think I read it was about uh, July, June, July is when it finished shooting in 2003. So this is just on the heels of 9-11. And mm-hmm. to come out with a movie, like you said, that just surrounds the audience with love. It's not just about surrounding the characters because it doesn't tell a bunch of straight line love stories. I think it tries to tell love from every aspect that it comes from. Unrequited love, unknown love, young love, old love, married love, um, things like that. And, and you did reference that there were originally more storylines. I think you said his original cut was like 14 love stories, which is way too much. Yeah, um, There was a, uh, a same-sex relationship that he, to this day, regrets having to cut. The editing process sounds like it was a fucking nightmare with this project oh god no Um, shit he said he he said the way i wrote it did not make sense he's like the way i the the original order and the way i wrote it it just did not flow we could not crack the code on the flow which is really funny because i think in hollywood and this is a british film but i think in hollywood they're like then cut it down to 88 minutes yeah this thing is 215 and i love it like, I love the length of this movie. Oh, I do too. And what's amazing to me about this film, every time I watch it, now granted, I know all the characters, so I know their stories, but even still, you never feel lost. You never for once feel like, oh wait, what were these people doing? The fact that they could take all these stories that are interconnected but make them seem seamless to the point where you're watching it and you're like, yeah, this seems like a logical progression for everyone and I'm picking everyone back up at the right time. It's not like, oh, I haven't seen Colin for you know, 45 minutes and now I don't know, oh yeah, that's right, he was doing this. No, you know exactly what he's doing. You pick it all right back up and it's, again, underrated in terms of how difficult that is to do. Yeah, and one of the things is I like that we get that sort of gestation period with all of the relationships because we're told at the very beginning, right at the end of the credits, five weeks to Christmas. So it's sort of inherent in the script that we're going to end on Christmas Day um, at least that'll be a climactic time, right? Mm-hmm. So all of this happens in five weeks. If it's a shorter movie, I don't think any of the love sequences make sense. I don't think falling in love makes sense, but it does because of sort of how much time we get to spend with these people, and we feel like more time has passed than it has. And I think that that's yes. a really um, impressive accomplishment for the writing and the direction of the movie. Um, before we get into it, though, I do want to say... Budget was forty million. I thought it was interesting that it only made fifty nine million in the U.S. Really, that's all it made here. It made two forty four worldwide. Fifty nine here. Yeah, I was wow. kind of surprised. I thought like this has to me a hundred million U.S. written all over it. This is this is the good version of the Gary Marshall movies we make fun of, and I like yeah. Gary Marshall by the way. But again, if you've heard the podcast, we're talking about. The New Year's Eve movie and the Valentine's Day movies and the yeah he's just not that into you movies that sort of stuff. This is a this is what those movies were trying to be, and it shows you how hard that is to do. I gotta chalk it up to the accents. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was just <laughs> accent overload. I have no idea. Yeah, no uh, accent overload. Yeah, too much Hugh Grant. Too much. Yeah, yeah. too much charming. Too many charming jokes. Exactly. Um, but I do want to also read this cast off really quickly because. Now, with the exception of like one or two of these names, these people are known. But there's a couple here that weren't. Like Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, obviously. 
Martine McCutcheon was known in Britain as a pop star. She was also on EastEnders, which I think is in its like it's like Law and Order over there. I guess like there's like a hundred seasons of it. Uh, she was a pop star, you said, right? She was, yeah. I I had a CD. I had a CD of hers. A good friend of mine uh, gave me that CD one year, and uh, it was pop music. It was it was fine. It wasn't my style, but I was just like, holy shit! This I had no idea when I saw the movie. But I think I think she was probably of the unknowns, the one most people were like, who's that? Oh yeah. She yeah. brightened up every scene she was in, had such good chemistry with Hugh Grant. They did. It was great. And it's insane. And the confidence she brought to the role. I thought it was so funny because she's bumbling a lot, but then you realize yeah. she's not apologizing for bumbling. No, 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 no. She's she's perfect. They got very first scene where they're doing the introductions there. Yep. And she starts cursing. It's like it's funny because even though they're on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, you know, she's like a catering manager or whatever you want to call her in, in the house, and Hugh Grant's prime minister. He's doing exactly what she does. He's fucking up as he's talking to everyone. Like I had an uncle who was like a molester, but you're not or whatever. <laughs> yep. And then and then he gets to her and she does the same thing to him. And it's that instant connection. And it's so perfectly well done because they didn't need to like make it over. It was just it's right there and everyone can see it who's looking and you just see that instant connection. It's great. Well, I love it when he when he scoots into the door afterwards and he just shuts it and he just says one of the best lines in the movie, and it's two words. He just goes, That's inconvenient. Yes, yes, it's perfect, it's so perfect. Good. But like we get an early She Would Tell for. I didn't really know who that was when I saw this the first yep. time. Er, yep. Early Andrew Lincoln of uh, Walking Dead fame, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. or as I like to refer to him, the British Mark Feuerstein. Uh, okay, I got you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Martin Freeman, I, I think, pro- unknown to American audiences at that point, I would think. I think um, we only knew him as Brad Pitt's stand-in. Yes, of so. course. Of course. <laughs> when he says that, I fucking lose it every time. I'm like, what? what? There's not a single time that this movie plays that they do that first lighting scene that Jesse goes, this storyline, man, this one right oh, here. Oh, God, yes. I was I was telling <laughs> Rachel tonight, I'm like, the most expensive porno you've ever seen. Like, what, what the fuck was going on? It's so funny. What I what movie? Like, because you immediately, I was thinking it was a porn, but then yeah. you're, then you're thinking like, there's not a porn on earth that's worried about lighting. No way. Um, no. So like, what movie is what? What Lars von Trier film is this? <laughs> where, where they're like, every scene is sex, obviously. Yep. But we yep. really need those tight lighting gauges. We need to know, okay? This is that nymphomaniac prequel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's gotta be what this is. And when he tell when he tells her, hey, could you just lean forward and then cheat to the left? Yes. <laughs> and he's like, we want to get the lighting right. We want to get the good measurement. Go ahead and cup her breast and then just start massaging it. Yeah, because that's start- gonna impact the lighting. Where that James Cameron is making this fucking film. <laughs> it's just Well, and there's, you know, there's a conversation to be had in this movie, and I I don't quite want to have it just yet about the fixation on the female body in this movie. Okay. Like every single female in this movie's body is sort of commented on and I, and juxtaposed with, you know, what, uh, magazines tell you needs to be pretty with what art tells you needs to be pretty with uh, any of that. So I, I think, you know, as we go through, um, I think it's an interesting conversation to have because it's certainly something that I think is a little fuzzy. I do have a quick question for you, though, because you're going over the cast here, and I just want to get your thoughts in general. You said, obviously, Emma Thompson is known and Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson. Alan Rickman. 
Yep. Obviously, he's passed. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. It's yes. really unfortunate for everyone because he was such a great, great, great actor. Mm-hmm. But would you consider him well-known? Obviously, the Harry Potter series, but I mean, people like, oh, yeah, that was Snape. Okay. But before that, you know, like we got Die Hard. We got so many things. Would you consider him at all on the level of Emma Thompson or Liam Neeson? So not necessarily on their level, but I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I loved Die Hard. Yep. I obviously loved Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Don't say it like mm-hmm. that. Don't fucking say it like don't roll your eyes and get your water <laughs> like they know they heard that. They can see you. Okay, you can't hide that shit from our fans. I do have something to tell you, though. I do have something to tell you along those lines. John David Washington, I think this was like a year ago, he was on a variety podcast, and they were talking about Black Klansmen, and he was talking about like movies that he loved and actors and all that. And at one point, he said, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Kevin, and I, I, I'm telling you, this is exactly what he said. He's like, Kevin Costner, loved it. I don't care that he can't do the accent. Who cares? It was great. And I was like, oh, my God, Cole and John David Washington are going to be best friends. We are. This is I, it. <laughs> if I see him, I'm going to jed him and be like, yo, JD, get over here. <laughs> I'm totally with you on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But not only did I love him in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, of uh, sort of an underseen movie, Quigley Down Under. You ever see that? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah a long time ago. The yeah. Tom Selleck, uh, Laura mm-hmm, San Giacomo mm-hmm. movie. He's a great villain in that. So I had seen a ton of Alan Rickman by the time I was like 11. And so, yeah. to me, before, like, he will never be Snape to me. So, that's right. that's not my connection with Alan Rickman. But I, I think he probably was more so for Die Hard than anything. I yes, think, I agree. I think being Hans Gruber, mm-hmm. full stop, he probably was. But I don't think he was on the Emma Thompson, uh, Liam Neeson line. I know who definitely wasn't was Bill Nye. You know, that was, no, this was no. my, this was my introduction to Bill Nye, which was, yeah, I, I now see, um, oh man, I'm totally blanking and this hurts cause I, I, I really like him. Uh, Notting Hill, man. Who's the, the, uh, uh, the roommate in Notting Hill. Oh, right. Siffins. Thank you. Uh, that's who he models his career off of. Guaranteed. Yes. Yes. Um, totally. I got one little quick Alan Rickman anecdote that I read a, a while ago. Fire away. I thought just like sums up the man. Um, so obviously he was in all the Harry Potter movies and the Harry Potter kids definitely grew up in those films. They were very young when they started and, you know, all that. And he supported them throughout. I guess he was always very nice to them. And when they would star in plays, he would always be their opening night. And he wouldn't make a big deal of it or whatever, but I think he would just go backstage or have flowers sent and just supportive he wasn't even had nothing to do with the play. They might have been not even filming any Harry Harry Potter. No more Harry Potter even anymore. Whatever. He would just go there and, and support them. And I just it says so much about the man because I think he recognized like these kids are growing up in this industry. They need all the positive support and help that they can get because it's very difficult. And I mean, just an individual that it just sucks we lost him. Yeah, that's fantastic because. I, I love hearing that, particularly when you have a franchise built around children, but they're surrounded by adults. And mm-hmm. I, I hear that a lot about the Harry Potter experience, actually, because I heard that with Kenneth Branagh. Um, I heard that with uh, Maggie Smith. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm glad to see that, particularly in those first, what, seven, eight years, like they're taken care of. And, and that's, yeah, that's good. No kidding. I did get to see Alan Rickman on Broadway, Weird Flex Corner of the Night, I guess. 
Uh, <laughs> he's also good live. I'm not going to lie. That's not just film yeah, acting. No shit. Yeah, he can, I bet. He can do that. It, and it was very funny to see him in scenes with Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> and it was like, uh, Kush. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So, uh, but it was it was a good. O'Connell was, was trying to slide on out of there, huh? <laughs> it was a good play, but uh, Rickman was fantastic, and he was also super nice afterwards. Like I didn't get to see it, but you could see all the fans around him at the stage door afterwards, and he was glad handing everybody and being really cool. So, yep. very very sad. He's actually the reason that uh, in Love Actually two, the Red Nose Day video that they did, um, that Emma Thompson said no. Yep, I won't be in yeah, it. I can't do it. Nope. Um, so should we, should we dive in? Should we really get into this? Yeah, let's do it, man. For sure. Lead lead us off here. So obviously, well, I'm probably the one to take this. I love the credit sequence, man. Like, you know Mm -hmm. me and credit sequences that get shit done and we get, we meet 50, 60 people in (laughs) two minutes, but at the end of that two minutes, I totally know who all the people are. Absolutely. You know, you know, it's so... It's so substantive and gets rid of so much unnecessary exposition. It's fantastic. And the other thing that I really like about the the web that is created with all these people, because you start to learn throughout the movie, oh, these four might know each other, or maybe these three know each other. But then all of a yeah. sudden you sort of realize there's going to be a string that connects them all, but the movie is not interested at all in telling you how that's connected. No, you kind of do that work for yourself. People have made images online, tons of them, where it's like, <laughs> oh, the web of love actually, the connection between everyone. And and it turns out that's not important. That's just a no, thing. No, not at all. Yeah. You know, and, and I love that. So when we get that arrival gate at Heathrow and I mean, that is, I guess I call it a mini montage, which there's never been a bad montage. Hugh Grant's voiceover, as you said, is great. And that that introductory, that thesis statement of the, the film really sets the tone perfectly you know it's yeah, sort of, it does it's it's so it puts me in such a good mood that's that's perfectly said because that's what this movie is is you will start it off you'll get in a good mood right away and that never wavers throughout the film and by the end you're just you're you're almost brought to tears depending on who you are and it's just really it's great and that first scene there at the airport, like I guess that was filmed using hidden cameras. I read, yeah, which makes sense because it all looks so real and natural. You know, those obviously aren't actors, but it it just gets you into that into that mood. I don't know. There's something about seeing these people that are just with the pure love and joy of seeing someone else and embracing them. It does have an impact in the way it's filmed and uh, the whole thing. It just it just really gets you in a good mindset, and I think that's why everyone loves watching the movie. Yeah, it, it's it's something where. There's like you mentioned before, bad shit happens in this movie, but mm-hmm. this screenplay does such a great job of sort of sugaring you up and sugaring you up and sugaring you up, and right before you get diabetes, <laughs> it hits you with a scene like Emma Thompson's, yeah, uh, crying scene, um, or it hits or you, or a scene like the funeral, with, exactly. Uh, I was Liam just, Neeson with just Daniel. Say yep, that. we're like. The, the swell at the beginning of the movie, you're like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with like sugary goodness here. And then like, oh, OK, there's going to be. And then and then they start to bring you back up and then they bring you down and then they bring you back up. And it's never overwrought. It's never done too much. It never loses. No. It never loses its positive through line. But it also doesn't rest on just hugs for the entire movie, which makes the payoffs on all of these relationships good or bad. 
makes so much more sense. Well, each character is also unique and yeah. they're well written and they have depth to them. Yes. And they have their own motivations. And in a cast this big, it's so amazing that he was able to do that. But you understand each one of them right away, too. That's the other thing is you don't it doesn't take half the movie to understand what Liam Neeson's character is. You get that right away from that very first scene at the funeral. It's written all over his face. You can hear it in his words. You can take one look at Sam. You can understand the situation with Sam. It's insane how well that is done. It's not an easy thing. I know I keep saying that, but I think these things get overlooked as this is just another one of these movies. No, if this was another one of those mo- these movies, this would be a fucking Hallmark or Lifetime movie. Yeah. Okay? And- Where these characters are fucking paper thin and drawn and a stiff wind blows them right over. Yep. No, these have depth and all of that great stuff to them. And, you know, not that there's anything, because there's a lot of thin movies that I really like, but yeah. th- this has this has a structure that you actually can't get away with that. You can get away with that in movies that have two main characters and a couple of best friends and a plot to accomplish something at the end of the movie. That's when you can get away with paper-thin characters in a movie like Just Friends. Those aren't super deep, well-developed yeah. characters, but that movie works. That movie's hilarious. But if you have this movie and you try to do that, the entire structure and foundation of the film falls apart and it just it just can't work. But mm-hmm. uh, so at the beginning, though, I do have a question for you. Obviously, the intro to Bill Nye in the studio is great. Fuck shit, bugger or whatever. Let's just play that whole thing. It's awesome. Yeah. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. I feel it in my toes. Yeah. Love is all around me. And so the I'm afraid you did it again, Bill. It's just I know the old version so well, you know. Well, we all do. That's why we're making the new version. Right, okay, let's go. I feel it in my fingers. In my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Love is all around. Oh, fuck, wank, bugger, shitting, ass, head, and hole. He's perfect. <laughs> He's, He's so fucking perfect. He's so good. He's so good. And the manager is so great. Oh, God. The facial expressions. Yeah. I mean, everything. It's so believable. <laughs> I just, I'm just, sorry. I I'm, love still, it. I'm still laughing on the fuck, shit, bugger. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and then it, what I what I totally dig about this is it it also decides, like, Oh, instead of staying with this for eight minutes, boom, let's bounce over to Colin Firth just kissing his sick wife goodbye. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's it. He's got to yep. go. That's it. He's got to go to a wedding that has about 30 people, maybe? Yeah, not the a lot. The stands are looking a little light there. Yeah, not a lot. Well, it turns out they all got to sing at the end of that wedding. That's the yeah, problem. No shit. They all got no places shit. to be. Uh, <laughs> and then you got uh, Liam Neeson talking to Emma Thompson on the phone, and she kind of scoots him off and yep. you you figure out oh they know each other they're friends i don't know anything about it i don't need to mm-hmm. and you know that his wife passed away and then boom click quick cut emma thompson at home with the kids i get her station done then we go to colin delivering bagels at rickman's company yep done i get who colin is colin's bagel guy i get it <laughs> yes. I, I know this yes. guy bagel uh, horn dog bagel horn dog 
You know, you get Martin Freeman and just Judy. You know, like <laughs> I she oh man. The casting I, I don't want to keep like beating a dead horse here, but like casting someone like Joanna Page has such a warmth to it that mm-hmm you're not going to get from a lot of actors. That warmth is a really hard thing to do. Um, yes. And I think a lot of people try to do that just with like a look. And you're like, no, it's in the tone of voice and the giddiness and the the excitement about meeting a new person. And, and their their little um, courtship is, is spectacular. But they're in there doing that sex scene lighting. And the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> exactly. Because this exactly. doesn't hit you like the type of movie that's like nudity. Mm-hmm. No, not at right? all. Not at all. As a super quick aside, do you remember the first time you saw this? I really don't. I really honestly, I've seen it so many times that I don't think I can even pick out the first time. Do you? I 100% remember because I'm a Richard Curtis guy. Like I saw Four Weddings and a Funeral in the theater at 11 years old. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is really fucking funny. Now, I didn't get all of it, obviously. But I was like, I really like this. These are some weird, funny people. So I just watched <laughs> everything that Richard Curtis did. And when this came out, it was November 2003. And I was living in Illinois. And it did not come to the theaters around Pekin. It did not come to Peoria. I drove about 45 minutes or so to Bloomington, which is like 40 miles away, with my cousin Charlie. <laughs> To go see, and she, I don't think she knew anything about it. I was like, we gotta go see this movie. We gotta go see Love Actually. Opening weekend, saw it on Saturday night, and like, I just drove home with a big ass smile on my face the whole time. But there was a lot of, there's also a lot of nudity to see with your cousin. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But yeah, that was my first experience. Was, I, I was that's like, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was so, and it was freezing that night. That was a cold November. I actually think I saw it first time on HBO now that I remember, because back in college, and I caught it on HBO, not knowing what it was. And I mean, I think I must have watched it probably that week at least four times because, yeah. you know, HBO just keeps re-airing shit. And this is before I had a DVR. So it was just like, yeah, put the channel on, pick it up wherever. It's one of those movies where you can pick it up. It doesn't even matter where you pick up the movie and you can just watch it from there on. To but, the it, but it also is one where there's not a scene where you're like, uh, I don't want to watch it from here. You're just like, wherever no, I hit it, no. wherever I hit it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sex scene... Uh, lighting was sort of my click to like what in the hell am I watching like now I'm now I'm invested in what they're trying to create because before then you're just like oh I'm going from story to story to story then we who's get, your favorite couple yeah we can't answer that question yet we got to wait on that you want me to wait on yeah, that okay. we can't get on that we can't do that because I got to think about it I mean I've answered that <laughs> question four different times in my life but uh, uh, but like so we got that scene and then we go right to Andrew Lincoln and she would tell as you for at uh-huh. the wedding and you're like oh they're best friends cool and Kira Knightley walks in who was a huge name at the time um, I yep. mean still is it's not like it's not like that's gone anywhere but it was like oh she's she's big star okay um, and then I would say after that wedding we get to the actual start of the movie yeah I think the wedding as you've said you know you like weddings as being the introduction of the characters you got the godfather yeah. that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. we get a lot of characters introduced there and then yeah now it's all kicked off we understand that the dynamics between everyone and we kind of just go from there yeah and this is where it, it continues to ping pong like I sort of thought when I first saw it oh here in the credits it's going to ping pong and then we'll just settle into our natural flow of a film nope just get used to it it's, it's sort of like when you watch the Wolf of Wall Street and it's just like 
oh, we're going to be redlining the entire movie. It's oh, not, yeah, yeah. You're on coke the whole time. Yeah, it's not just the first five minutes. Like, you are on this ride for the entire time. So we then get to 10 Downing Street. Hugh Grant, prime minister, like you, we already mm-hmm. talked about, like meeting everybody. Love that. Like that meet cute, just, just perfect. 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 Go back to the wedding. I just kind of want to talk about these relationships because I, I think that Hugh Grant and Natalie, I always think that's my favorite relationship because they, they're my favorite performances in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think they have, that's the most natural rom-com comfort zone Tom and Meg sort of relationship, I think, in the movie. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but like that's the most traditional romantic comedy relationship. It's funny you say this because I go through this every time I watch it too, but then I always come back to a different couple mm-hmm. as the one where I'm like, this is the one. And the one that I always come back to is Jamie and Aurelia. I always come back to them because they're... The, the equality between them and what she's saying and she is not like she's a housekeeper she's not a dumb person she's a very intelligent woman mm-hmm. and she's doing this and he is a moron in so many ways but he's lovable and they just connect and click just like you know David as prime minister is a high powered person I think Natalie's automatically not automatically sorry that's the wrong word but she's attracted to him she's seen him before uh, you know she knows she's going to work there She's much younger than him. Doesn't matter. I'm not bringing age into it, but there's there's a certain connection there that feels like it was almost made ahead of time. Whereas with Jamie and Aurelia, it's kind of like love at first sight between these two. But there's a language barrier there yep. that they have to get through and cross over it. And I just love their relationship because they're just so equal. Their banter is my favorite banter, and they don't actually talk to each other until the very end of the movie. <laughs> exactly, it's like, so perfect, isn't it? It's. It's it's a wonderful connection between those two, and I I think, you know, that that is that and Sammy and Joanna to me are the most genuine love stories in the movie. Mm-hmm. The just the most from the heart love stories, um, probably followed by uh, just Judy and Jack, but. Yeah. Uh, or John, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I think they say he introduced me as Jack. I like to be called John. But, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. But I really, li- I'm, I'm with you. Like Jamie and Aurelia, I think at the end of the movie probably have the best chance of being together 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Oh yeah, and as we saw on Red Nose Day, they got several kids. They it's, got a lot of kids. Perfect. Yep. Um, I always bumped I mean I bumped on it then so this isn't this isn't a new thing but with the prime minister and Natalie it's like how is that not the biggest scandal in the world no shit no shit like and you just sort of when you when you just look at the outline of their relationship I'm not talking about the the genuine nature of it I'm not talking about that it's completely consensual on both sides I'm talking about works for the prime minister he walks in doesn't like what he sees with the president. Presumably demotes her, but says, mm-hmm. get her out of whatever the equivalent of the West Wing would be. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm pretty ignorant with respect to uh, what it looks like and what they call it at uh, 10 Downing Street. But demotes her, then goes to her home, which I also think 
probably didn't have to go door to door. My guess is before you left the house, you were going to be able to find an employee's address. No shit. But also (laughs) not only that, but after seeing what the president did, shifting your entire foreign policy on the U.S. like that. Yep. Because of what you saw. I mean, every time I watch it, I'm like, I don't know that you are fit for the job, my friend. (laughs) Well, what I love was, and I wrote this down in my notes, it was like, you know, I agree. Strength is good, but I've decided not to. Oh, he hitting on my girl? This motherfucker going down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I loved exactly. it. I loved it. I mean, it fits the general movie. Like, it doesn't... Oh, totally. None of this stuff takes me out of the reality I'm supposed to be buying into. But every time they pull back the curtains at the school, I'm like, biggest scandal in the world. Yeah. 100% the other scandal... The big- as Rachel brought up to me, she's like, so they're just going to let the prime minister go into this fucking crowded school and he's got one bodyguard? Yep. One body man. One bo- <laughs> Like, you're telling me his body man, after singing that carol, wasn't like, uh, <laughs> we're going to need some bodies down here on the dodgy end of this street because this dude is losing his fucking mind. And he's, oh, like, shit, he's like going door to door. But but it's it's great and it's... I don't know. Do you think let's have the Christmas movie conversation real quick. Do you think we give a little bit more leniency to Christmas movies just because we want to feel happy in December? Absolutely. I do too. Like I think I think when I see a movie that is billed as a Christmas movie, which this one wasn't originally supposed to be a quote Christmas movie, or at least that's what they say, which I'm like, if you put in your script 5 weeks to Christmas, you a Christmas movie. Exactly. But I'm just like I just want to I inherently want to buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want a Christmas miracle. I do. That's all I'm saying. Like, yeah. can't this rich, powerful man finally get the girl he wants? <laughs> that never happens. Although it sounds like, according to his sister, that he has fucked a lot of young chicks <laughs> over the years. I love And like needs to be careful. And she's like, no, seriously. No, seriously. 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 <laughs> no, seriously. It's not great. Look out. Yeah. And I was just looking in the background for that mugshot of Hugh Grant from like <laughs> 95. No um, kidding. But uh, I, I wanted to see more. What the hell were you thinking <laughs> when Jay Leno said that to him? Yeah. That was cl- as is classic, classic stuff. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to see more Emma Thompson. Uh, Hugh Grant scenes because it seemed like even on the phone, which I know she's not talking to him on the phone. But, yeah. Um, and at the school, that seems like that would have been a really fun um, back and forth. Totally unnecessary and would have needed to be cut from the movie. But mm-hmm. just, you know, my heart of hearts wants to see more Emma Thompson uh, anyway. But her interactions with Hugh Grant were really good. I do love that she hates her son, Bernard. Oh, I was hoping you would bring that up. I didn't want to be the one who dogged on him. When when she's talking to Liam Neeson, and he's like, I don't know, the kid won't come out of his room. I'm really worried. She's like, oh, my terrible kid, Bernie. Yeah, my horrid son. I was like, what? <laughs> he's, Fuck. He's terrible. And then I, I like, when I hear that every time I want to call my mom and be like, do you ever talk shit behind my back? <laughs> no shit. You know parents but, do. But, I, well, Tam dog. For sure. <laughs> she would have been like, no, I didn't talk shit behind your back. I just said it to your face, Cole. Mm-hmm. Go to your room. <laughs> Go to the livestock review building. You got some <laughs> You got some seven irons to master, motherfucker. <laughs> Turn up that propane tank. 
<laughs> so, okay. I got to go to Jamie's apartment when he comes back from the wedding. We got to talk about uh-huh. this real quick. So, like, first of all, that's just hilarious writing. Come on. Oh, God. Come on, big boy. I want you at least twice before Jamie gets home. Yep. Yep. Now, that's not a great brother, man. No, it's not a good brother. Huh. Nope. Yeah. Not a good wife either. Also a bad wife. <laughs> yes, we. a theme in this movie will be bad spouses. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's just one of those hilarious scenes that I think gets way overwritten in most movies where there's a fight between the brother and he's just like, all right, I'm out of yeah, here. That's okay. it. It's all done. Because at the end of the day, what do you really say? I know. And after he just professed his love to her like over and over and over again, and I shouldn't go to the to the wedding and I'll stay. And then he's so nice to his brother when he sees his brother there. Oh, you came over to borrow some CDs. You know, I've been thinking we really need to spend more time with mom or whatever. And it's just like, I, I mean, right away you like Colin Firth. Yes. He's, he's an aloof kind of dumb, you know, doe-eyed character, but you like him. And Colin Firth is just so damn likable. Yes. Um, and it's just, it, it works out perfectly and, and you feel for him right away. And you know what I love? Never need to see the wife anymore and never nope. need to see the brother. Nope. All done. Nope. And, and what I thought was really good was they hit, I, I think these quick hits, because I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but I think these quick hits are such a strength of the movie because yes. it's just says, it tells the audience, here's your cue. That's all you needed to know. Don't think about anything else. We're moving on. Um, mm-hmm. And so we we bump right out of him leaving to let's go back to the wedding reception. Colin, when he's when he's offering the hors d'oeuvres and he's giving them different diversity, and he looks at somebody and goes, "Taste explosion." <laughs> yes, I think Laura Linney he says that too. Maybe yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so great! And you know he's trying to hit on the caterer, and then I just love the entire conceit of American girls, quote unquote. Yes. Like, and his friend, the porn director, or not, I don't know what that movie is. I got, I was kind of hoping that would be Love Actually, too. Yeah, no kidding. No shit. But what I love is his friend is like in the kitchen. His friend isn't part of that wedding. He isn't there as a guest. He's just like chilling with his friend who got the job as a server. I, it's just, it's just funny to me. And I guess I read also that the, um, the whole interaction with the caterer, they had that scene for four weddings and a funeral, but they didn't use it. So he decided to use it here. And, you know, well done. Well done. I love listening to writers who are like, I wrote this scene and I love this scene. It didn't work in the project I wrote it for, but I held on to it. I've heard that from so many screenwriters. I've heard Chris McQuarrie say that. I've heard uh, Aaron Sorkin say that, where they're like, I've held on to this until I had the right project. And I just think that that's, I think that's awesome. Did Aaron Sorkin do that with uh, with uh, Ava Maria or is that <laughs> Aaron Sorkin also will hold on to a scene and be like, I'm going to do this every time, every time, 60 <laughs> percent of the time it works every time. But then when Colin is like, I'm Colin, God of sex, <laughs> we have no frame of reference for what this is, nope. what this guy nope. is. We get no deeper into this than I can't get English girls. Mm-mm. I have an accent, though, so I'm just going to fly to America and hook up with American girls because all you need is an accent. 
And that commentary on the stereotype of American girls is never not funny to me. No, it's hilarious. And the fact that he picks Wisconsin as the place to go in the winter. Well, you know why he did that, right? Why is that? That ticket had to be $25. Oh, of course. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Miami, six grand. Wisconsin, yeah. we'll give you a $50 voucher if you're willing to fly to Wisconsin and buy two exactly. drinks on the flight. We need weight to the flight, so just yeah. come on board. Bring your backpack, quote, chockerbock full of condoms. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So I, I really liked Colin, but he was also... One of those characters that didn't get used too much because he would have he would have started grading um, if oh, he was no a main shit. character. But they're like, nah, just a little dash of Colin, little dash of Colin with his friend saying, "You're a fucking lunatic. You are yeah. out of your mind." If that way, if that film was made here, we would have had 35 minutes of Dax Shepard doing that shit. It would have been <laughs> way too much, and I just know none of that. Right? Fuck off. And then because we've got all this humor going back and forth, we literally cut from. They do a quick cut from I Am Colin, God of Sex mm-hmm. to let's do some real quick lighting with naked people. <laughs> straight, So you've been laughing the whole time straight to eulogy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're just like, let me come back down. See what's going on. Oh, I remember Liam Neeson's wife died. And mm-hmm. I cannot imagine giving the eulogy at my wife's funeral. Like... No, I'm not eulogizing. Yeah. I'm not a pallbearer. I'm probably jumping off a building. Like there is Yeah. That that is I mean, it's a beautiful scene. It's beautifully acted. As a husband, it makes no sense to me because I would not have my shit together to be able to comprehend doing something like that. It's so tough. I mean, it's it's watching it, you're just emotionally gone through this fucking turmoil here and this roller coaster but it's not it's just not too much even though it's juxtaposed and the tonal shift there it it works it's it's all good and i mean credit to liam neeson for being able to pull that off uh just fantastic actor and this is pre-taken liam neeson so i think yes i wonder how this would have worked post-taken well i mean yeah because his wife had not passed away at this point in, in right? I don't I don't think so, but don't quote me here. Uh m- let me look that up. I feel like we should get that right. Skiing accident, right? That's yeah. just tra- that a tragedy. Great actress, god. She passed away in 09. Okay, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I really liked her. I remember the first time I really recognized her though was the Disney's The Parent Trap. Yep, yep, yep. And then it was like she was so funny in Made in Manhattan. Like, mm-hmm. I, I do remember uh, when I heard about her death, that was one of those like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, there's yeah, no. Yeah, it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but no, so he he pulled that off. But I don't know that audiences would accept post-taken Liam Neeson in the same way that they were willing to openly accept this character from Liam Neeson. I, I mean, yeah, I can I can buy that. No way to know. But I mean, I don't yeah. think they would have been like, oh, you know, this is bullshit. But I think back then this was Liam Neeson, like Oscar contender caliber actor Liam Neeson. Yeah, this was Liam Neeson not starring in a lot of stuff. Right. Like, Liam Neeson was I'm on the Daniel Day Lewis track of like five, six years between movies, it seems like. And then, you know, once the untimely passing of his wife hit, it's taken one, two, three, the gray, everything. Right. I just 
consume myself with work. I got to do it. And, you know, the fucking A-team, all that shit. Yeah. So, you know, everyone deals with things in their own way. But I agree with you because I think there's a whole generation of people now who don't even know about Liam Neeson Schindler's List. Yeah, they don't, they don't know Rob Roy. Like, no, they don't. not at all. Um, but that, that scene, what I like, too, is they juxtapose. They go from the death right to the life. We go back to the wedding. And mm-hmm. we've got Andrew Lincoln filming his buddy. And I just love that Laura Linney. I love, like, Laura Linney, man. She's so... Perfection. She's just... That's the thing with this entire cast. All of them are perfect, and all of them are perfect in this movie. And when she just goes up and says, are, are you in love with him? And he's like, what? And she's just, and she's just very matter-of-factly is like, yep. Yep. I, I just thought I should ask in case you nobody had asked. And they wanted to know. So When Curtis was writing the script, I, I read that he was talking to his wife, and he's like, you know, I'm just, I'm looking, I'm looking for like, like, uh, like a Laura Linney type, uh, and his wife's like, why don't you just send it to Laura Linney? Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Because yeah. it was she written. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was written for a British person. Like, it was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, she's, she's fantastic. And she's just so, she's another one. So warm and approachable. And, and there's not a character you put her with in this movie that doesn't make sense. And I feel the most sad for her character. I do. I do. I, I feel, well, I probably feel worse for Emma Thompson. Yeah, yeah, I I understand what you're saying there. I understand what you're saying, but like, oh, I just, it seems to me like Laura Linney's character, Sarah, she deserves to kind of be with Carl or have someone like, you know, someone like that. Fuck Carl. You don't, (laughs) don't even start, we're going to have to have the Carl, I'm not in a place right now to have the Carl conversation yet, but we're going to talk about Carl in a minute. Okay, I just mean she deserves to be with someone, not to have her life dictated by taking yes. care of her brother. Yes, yes, but yes. I I agree, but fuck Carl. Um, <laughs> so speaking of Carl, we we then get to like where Alan Rickman and Laura Linney work, and it seems like Alan Rickman's the you know the big boss, and Laura Linney works uh, for him. And then he invites her into the office to have the weirdest conversation. No fucking shit. Just so weird. Like, who, what boss is like, sit down. How long have you been in love with this guy? Okay, cool. Uh, why don't you go up to him and tell you you want to have lots of sex and babies? Where is Ronan Farrow? Can I get Ronan Farrow <laughs> yeah, like, on the film? <laughs> what in the shit, man? Like, Rickman, you're not a good guy. Just in no. general. You're just mm-hmm. not a good guy. Um, so that scene... Wow, it works. It totally works. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they sort of mention the cell phone. So you sort of get this idea of, oh, she's always on her cell phone. We don't know why yet. But um, this Carl guy. Let's talk about Carl a minute. All right, yeah. Let's you, break off Carl here. Your your girlfriend may have a missed call from my wife <laughs> tonight, actually, because every time this comes on, I tell Jesse, I'm like, look. Uh, Carl's not good enough for Laura Linney. Period. Full stop. Full stop. And she's like, okay. She's like, you are out of your fucking mind. <laughs> she's like, that is the best looking person in this movie. I'm like, nah, nah, not good enough. Carl's not good enough. I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. Now, Carl's not good enough for Laura Linney, or Carl's not good enough for Sarah. Yeah, yeah, both of those. <laughs> Okay. All right. I don't see the difference because you want to elaborate. <laughs> I feel like you disagree with me. 
Well, no, I, I, I really don't have an opinion. I want to hear yours. But Carl, to me, seems like a nice guy. He's not just trying to hit it and quit it. He actually wants to have a relationship with her. What is why? Why is he not good enough? He seems to give it up pretty quickly when, oh, we couldn't have sex this night. Peace. No, he knows that. Look, she got like two or three calls in the span of three and a half minutes from this guy. He's like he's been at the office with her for what, two years, seven months, you know, three days, whatever the fuck she says. He knows that her phone goes off constantly. So he's like, hmm, I will she change it all? And then when he realizes there's no chance she will, then it's like, I can't, I can't be dealing with that. I mean, have you seen me? I've seen a mirror. So I can, if Colin can go slay Alicia Cuthbert and January Jones, you think I can get you any think, you posh th- piece of ass I want over here in the UK. You, you think Rodrigo Santoro does okay? I think he's done well in his, in his day. Yes. Just, he's just like, what are you talking about? Like, look at his abs. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm looking at him being an asshole. Okay. Just asshole went. because he not because he's pissed that he's not going to fuck her. Is that what yeah, I'm hearing? Yeah, and he, he leaves. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the movie, he's just like, good night, Sarah. And it's like, you didn't have a talk with her? You didn't want to. He says good night. He says it all with his eyes, man. He's like, good night, Sarah. There's emotionality. Nah, the pay dirt is not, all there. I'm not here. I'm not and, here. I'm not here to have you stand up. For Carl, <laughs> I'm not interested in that conversation. I think okay. that people need to understand that a looks aren't everything, Carl. <laughs> All right, I think Carl understands that because Carl's a nice dude. Like I actually think he's a nice guy. Like no, no, he gave he gave up, he gave up, and that's that's on him, and he has to live with that. Okay, so all right, all right. That's my that's my little Carl speech, but we can move on. That's fine. He didn't he didn't fight for Sarah. He didn't go visit old fat John Cusack with her. <laughs> I mean, we've I want I want you to know we've never had this conversation, but that is John Cusack every time I see him. <laughs> yes, it is. It's old fat John Cusack. It's hilarious. I just the last thing on Carl is like he tries to sort of turn the phone call into an interruption without knowing the context. And he's like, it's okay. Sometimes life gets interrupted. Like, hey, fuck off, bud. This is more important than you. <laughs> All right? Like, I'm not interested in you trying to take 10 seconds to try and figure out what I'm dealing with. Um, so sit there in your little black underpants and check yourself. I don't know. I'm hearing some some Carl jealousy here. I'm. That's what I'm... Nah. Nope. <laughs> a little uh-huh. bit. Nope. A little bit. <laughs> So we were watching it tonight, and uh, I was I was telling Jesse what I thought about Carl, and she's like, "I'm gonna need a second opinion," and called Rachel. So Rachel might have a missed call. That's what that's about. Oh, I'm gonna have to talk to her about that then. Yeah, she gets to call <laughs> Jess back. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we get away from Alan Rickman's weird conversation, and we get to the greatest radio interview of all time. Oh fuck yes! <laughs> just just can, can we can we play the if you believe in Father Christmas? Line. How do you think the new record compares to your old classic stuff? Oh, come on, Mikey. You know as well as I do, the record's crap. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great 
if number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager, but an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price. All those young popsters come Christmas Day, they'll be stretched out naked with a cute bird balancing on their balls. And I'll be stuck in some dingy flat with my manager, Joe, ugliest man in the world. Fucking miserable because our fucking gamble didn't pay off. So if you believe in Father Christmas, children, like your Uncle Billy does, buy my festering turd of a record and particularly enjoy the incredible crassness of the moment when we try to squeeze an extra syllable into the fourth line. <laughs> I think you're referring to uh, if you really love Christmas. Come on and let it snow. Ouch. <laughs> Every time he calls himself Uncle Billy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> and did you notice, did you notice his tick where he only uses like three fingers on each hand? Well, he's, I know one hand he can't use two of the fingers. Bill Nye in real life? In real life, yeah. Okay. I think he can't use like a pinky and, and a ring finger on one of his hands. So okay. that's why it's always like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you if it was like a James Coburn sort of physical. Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Okay. I believe it is. Because yeah. it just, it seemed like such a weird choice, but it also completely works. Like I, I, yeah. I key in on it every time and it completely works. But uh, so we get, we get what they're trying to do. Then we go to the who do I have to screw to get a chocolate biscuit sort of. <laughs> Again, you would not hear that in an office these days. And you probably wouldn't have heard it then. Like, <laughs> true. That's, that's true. A, that's a, that's a cabinet meeting. That's not like <laughs> you sitting with your chief of staff shooting the shit at the end of the night. That yeah. is you in a room of 30 people that are the yep. heads of all your departments and saying, who do I have to screw to get a chocolate biscuit around here? That being said, chocolate biscuits are delicious. Um, well, yes, ab- absolutely they are. Uh, you give me a little shortbread cookie with a little chocolate on top, mm-hmm. hold the tea, I'm all good. Uh, <laughs> and then, again, just just to check in on just Judy and John. Yeah. So what do you think of their, what do you think their chances of success are? John oh, I think high. I really? think very high. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think he's infatuated with her from the second he sees her. He's a nice guy. And I think she's been looking for a nice guy, you know? Yeah. And I just think it just kind of works. I think it's just between them, it's going to be great. They already know what the other's packing. Right. So they that's already true. know physically they're attracted to each other. Right, right. And it's, yeah, I think that one, that's a long marriage, very fruitful, got a lot of kids. Uh, I don't know how successful they are in the old career department as stand-ins. Well, the lighting, I mean, everything needs lighting. Yeah, that's that's true. But no, I think I think that works. They're clearly willing to do whatever they have to do when the set director asks. Yeah, so when she gets a stand-in with another dude, that's when we wonder like how is, is this I don't want you working anymore? Yeah, is, well, that is, would just no. That would just be Martin Freeman being a dick. So yeah, that would be that would be yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I just think that our only check in with them is brief chit chats uh, between different and escalating sexual positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. On what appears to be different days, because there's a timing problem with this movie a little bit. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's a there's a continuity issue with, and maybe it's not even continuity. It's just like, for instance, like Sam, like when. When they're worried about Sam and, you know, this happens a little later in the movie, but he decides, hey, I want to learn the drums. 
Uh huh. He goes from not playing drums two weeks before Christmas, a little less than two weeks before Christmas, to playing the drums, learning a song, auditioning for the school play, getting the school play, and doing all of that. That does not make sense to me. It's realistic. Let me tell you why. Because <laughs> okay. I was in a band. Yeah, yeah. Salino so, and the Bullets. Shout out to uh, our one our one record that we recorded on on a phone that I still have. That's how the good ones. That's how the good ones go. I literally I bought a drum kit and I practiced for probably a week and I could play a song of of probably equal to the difficulty, if not maybe a little easier than what the kids playing in there. And he's practicing all the time. I didn't practice like like him. It was just a few hours each night. And it's doable. It's doable. That's why they have that old joke. You know, four musicians walk into a bar and a drummer does. So that's that's why that's why they say that shit, right? Well, I mean, I guess I just look at it as like they got horns in the band. Yep. I'm assuming they had a drummer in the band. I understand what you're saying. You know, taking a little bit of license there. I understand what you're saying. But I'm not it's possible to, for him to learn that song. But yes. I'm not trying to pick it apart. I'm not even saying I don't like it. I'm just saying that there's a lot of like... You know, wife dies five weeks to Christmas, dating Claudia Schiffer six weeks later. Mm hmm. Yep. You know, those are, you know, interesting timing uh, elements. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we uh, we get Colin. He's decided I'm going to Wisconsin. We get Rickman. (laughs) We get Rickman then and his secretary who's not playing hard to get. Yes. Not at all. No, she (laughs) wants it. She wants it big time. Yeah. She's she's uh, ready. Um, yes. she likes Mr. Rickman. And then we get to, uh, Emma Thompson is actually at Liam Neeson's and they're talking about the kids. This is where she makes fun of Bernie. And she says something to him that makes no sense to me. And I think didn't make any sense to Jesse either is when she was like, stop crying or no one is going to have sex with you. <laughs> I think Liam Neeson can cry all day. Yeah. And yeah, probably convince somebody to have sex with him. Just look up Janice Dickinson, Liam Neeson, and I think that says it all. <laughs> and then, you know, he's he's talking to... He's got very good chemistry with uh, Thomas Brody Sangster, by the way. The guy who oh, plays... Yeah. The kid who plays Sam. Uh, mm-hmm. Really good, well-cast uh, child in this movie. Absolutely. I was super bored by his character in Game of Thrones, but really good in this movie. Which character was he in Game of Thrones? I'm trying to remember now. I'm going to... I'm not going to know the name, but uh, when uh, they're in the woods and the first, the the oh the, oh yeah yeah he could he could warg he was him and his yeah sister. he was a yeah him and yeah, his sister yeah 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 yes. I got gotcha, you I got gotcha. you okay yeah 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 um, cool but he's got great chemistry with Neeson and by the way Neeson's always chewing on that uh, that toothpick because he just quit smoking mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. his little little crutch I love the idea that's like. I smoke so much that even when the camera's on, I need to have something. Otherwise, I might just... <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't deal. <laughs> I might just light one up. <laughs> I might punch this kid. I have no idea what's going to happen. So, uh, we, we definitely we definitely <laughs> have the toothpick everywhere. And then we, yes. then we cut again to... Uh, this was a very cute scene with Laura Linney kind of putting her makeup on for Carl. Um, mm-hmm. But, yep. you know, what I meant earlier by this movie sort of explores every aspect of love was she doesn't love Carl. You know, she, she, she wants Carl. She's attracted to Carl for God knows what reason, but 
she <laughs> she loves her family like she loves her brother and she explains that to him when he's being a jerk and leaving her that she's like look my parents died the both of us are over here I'm the only one he has and that's her love like that's her now whether it's a codependency whether we don't know enough like there's not enough facts there because even at some point in the movie she calls him you know yep um yep so i'm i think that the it's more of a lust with carl she likes the idea of him i think yeah yeah i guess if he's lustful or whatever like i don't get that (laughs) that doesn't make sense to me but i I think that the point of her storyline was mostly to get across the idea that like there is romantic love and there is familial love and there is unrequited love and all these different types of things and at the end of the day as much as she may want Carl or God bless anybody else it's no this is the most important thing in my life this is what I love this is who I love and this is what's what's key for me um, so I think that that is a beautiful story regardless of how sad or, or what we want for Sarah so I, I think that um, when she's putting on the makeup for Carl and she's like, maybe can I have both? And he sneaks out and she gets the call. And it's like, I think then is when she's like, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Like, I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to have both. And that to me is the saddest part for Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. We all make choices though. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's it. You know, she's weighing those pros and cons in her head and she can't, for lack of a better word, abandon her brother. Yeah. And I don't think she's ever going to find someone who she'll be able to kind of split the time between or who will fully understand or, or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's, it's sad. And I love that there's not a happy ending to every story in this film. Yeah. Even with Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman, yeah. you know, doesn't end on a happy note at all. Uh, it's, they're together, and it's been confirmed by, I believe, the director's wife that, yeah, they stayed together, but the house isn't as, as happy anymore. Well, he confirmed that he definitely cheated on her. It was not he just He definitely a cheated. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, so you get that. And I, and I love that about the movie. Again, it's it's you get a lot of happy endings, and you get some that are more realistic in, in many ways. And Yeah. It's good. It all works. Well, and the thing that I liked about, because it feels like we probably learned more about Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman's relationship than any other relationship in the film. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And what I dug about it was that it was the classic example of warning, 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 warning. How did I get here? You know, because he has that look on his face at the end, uh, at the kids play where she calls him out so spectacularly, by the way, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when when she says and, and I think this is brilliant writing, but it, it's. The, the writing is definitely even elevated because of Emma Thompson's emotion in the scene, which is, you've made me a fool. Because when he says, I'm a classic fool, and she goes, even worse, you've made me a fool, but you've made my the life I live foolish as well. And that's just that's just brilliant wordplay, and, and she's so good. And I think it's interesting because she warns him at the Christmas party. Yeah, stay there's, away from that. There's warnings all over the place for him. And he's just like, no, no, I'm going to ignore those. I'm going to ignore those. Um, trying to buy the necklace for uh, the secretary. And then, oh, ran out of time. Wife came. That's that's a warrant. Like, quit being a yep. shit. And, quit being a shit heel. And look, 
she finds the she finds the necklace in the box and then she wants to open that present from him on on Christmas Eve and or Christmas whatever they're doing the play that night. Right. And I just Emma Thompson is such a fantastic actress. The second she opens that box up and it's the Joni Mitchell CD, you just see her heart break and your heart breaks for her and then when she needs to you know, excuse herself, she said, because of too much ice cream or whatever. And then she goes to the bedroom and you have that scene with the camera just stationary, just looking at her. And she's going through all the emotions, not saying anything, playing the music, crying. It's a performance that I would put up against any other performance. It Like, it's it's amazing. It's devastating. What she's able to do. It's absolutely devastating. Yes. It is. It is. When I saw it the first time, and even really on rewatches, I'm like, how does this movie recover from this down? Because the music mm-hmm. is spectacular. The song, yep. having Joni Mitchell in the background is incredible. And you look at this woman and you're just like, how, not only how do you recover your life, how do you recover that night to go out? You're not going to be make a scene in front of your young children. You're not, you don't even know what you're going to say to your husband yet. He's going to treat you like everything's the same. And for her to yep. just have it out. And she's there's different reports, but the low end is seven times she did that scene. The high end is I've I've read twelve. Yep. Um, which I think at that point you're just dehydrated. Um, <laughs> but it's it's incredible for her to be able to pull that off. Like that is such a badass mom move um, of being able to say, well, you know, my husband didn't give a fuck about our family when he's doing what he's doing, but. I'm not going to let that ruin what's important to my children, what's important to me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, it's just, like you said, it's spectacular acting. And she acts the shit out of this film. Like, it's like... Emotionally in that scene, I don't care who you are. You know exactly what she's feeling. Mm -hmm. And you feel it too. Yep. Even if you've never been there before. Because they do such a great job of putting you in her place. But it's, oh my God, the empathy is just crazy. Yeah, and everybody has been gut punched in something where they had to recover for the sake of appearances in minutes. Whatever that is, whether, oh shit, I failed a test. I mean, something stupid like in high school, you know, or whatever. But like, everybody's experienced that I can't breathe because of this this terrible thing that just happened. Um, But then we start to rebound from that. You know, We, we start to... To try and and build up towards the end of the movie to make sure that we end on a, on a higher note, but mm-hmm. um, you know that that relationship is so fully fledged that that is why Emma Thompson that that's the saddest end to me is for Emma Thompson and like where she goes moving forward. Um, I remember being disappointed at the end when she was there to pick him up from the airport. Cause I was yeah. like, I was like, that's some, you know what, dude, get 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 a fucking car. But on a complete aside, that's the classic for the kids, though. Of course, that's why. Yep, yep. yep. But I, I gotta get your opinion on this ugliest necklace ever. Oh yeah, big time. Whoa, big fucking time. Whoa, red jewel is off center. It looks all kinds of ugly. Just gross. But uh, yeah. we do have to talk a little bit about Rowan Atkinson. You mean the Hector Elizondo of for Richard Curtis? Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, great performance again. Used just enough. 
But the mm-hmm. whole, I, I guess he was supposed to be more of a supernatural character in earlier drafts because he's again, like that's a warning bell. Like, see how long I'm taking? Do you really want to be buying this fucking thing? Is this really yep. something you yep. should be doing? And when, <laughs> when he puts the glove on to grab the holly and Rickman's like, no, no bloody holly. And that's my oh, English God. accent. That's my English accent for this episode. <laughs> very well done. I like it. I like it a lot. That was very well done. All of that is just master touches in, let's dip a little Rowan Atkinson in here. Let's dip a little Colin Frissel in here. Um, your sort of hijinks type comedy, which balances out some of, I think, the the larger dramatic sequences in the movie. And I think I read that Rowan Atkinson, uh, the idea is that he's kind of supposed to be a Christmas angel, or that was one of the original ideas. Yep. And, you know, where he saves Sam at the end and allows him to go see Joanna and get through the gate and, and all that. They never, and then I guess, you know, Richard Curtis said, I didn't really want to add a supernatural element to it, but he's just, he's the perfect character and he's what the characters need at that at that point in time. And he's great. He's I, look, Mr. Bean, I've never found that that funny. I don't really like the the voices and that kind of stuff. But Rowan Atkinson as an actor, great. I'm I'm right there with you. It's to me, it's two totally different uh, deals. Yeah. If we can, I want to talk a little bit about Mark. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> because Mark, Mark to me is the most problematic of our lovers in this movie. <laughs> and that's funny because he's the Richard Curtis character. He is right. Which yep, I've read that scares me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but I, when I first saw it, I think you're so inundated with this unrequited love is a really sweet thing, and then you look at it and you're like, dude, you are what like, the fuck, are you doing? You are a a shit best friend, b uh-huh. a stalker. Yep, and see, like your best friend marries this girl. All right, you're doing zoom in tapes or whatever, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not advocating stalking. I'm not advocating firing on your best friend's wife. I'm just saying, if you make a creepy video, we don't have that under the television. No. Um, I did notice. No. I actually learned, and I've probably seen this movie 25 times. That might be on the low end. Mm-hmm. I did notice something for the first time watching it just before we started recording. Okay. You may have seen this. I'm not sure. So I'm going to feel like a dickhead if everybody's like, of course. But there's one DVD that you can read the title of on his DVD rack when she finds the video. I don't remember. I don't remember what it is. Rear window. Oh, subtle. Easter egg, motherfuckers. Nice. I I like like, that, Cole. I like that. I did too. I paused. I was like, I think that was rear window. That's awesome. Oh, look at that. Uh, So... This, this film has layers, folks. Like, you will find new stuff 25, 30 times in. Um, no shit. That's great. That's a good pull. But uh, that scene is like his freak out. And I'm not like Andrew Lincoln's performance is good. Keira Knightley's performance is good. But like, I, I, I find her reaction as written to be sort of unrealistic. You think a man wrote that, do you? <laughs> I did put on here. There's a different scene uh, that I put. Uh, this wins the A Man Clearly Wrote This Hall of Fame uh, induction, <laughs> which was uh, when the three girl Alicia Cuthbert, January Jones, and I'm totally blanking on uh, the other woman that was in that oh, scene. It's like Ivana Milosevic Thank or you. something. Yep. Yeah. That whole like, oh, we want you to come back, but we only have one little bed and it's, you know, 
it's so small and cold, we have to sleep naked. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, guy, guy definitely wrote this scene, hundred uh-huh. percent. Um, but you know, back to Kira Knightley, like she thinks this guy doesn't like her, and I don't mean doesn't like her romantically. I mean thinks she sucks. Yeah, and then it, you find out like, oh, he's just a creep. Mm-hmm. And her reaction is, oh, I didn't know you never talked to me. What's going on? And his freak out is fantastic when he goes outside and has the silent, like, what the fuck do I do? Back and forth, back and forth. And then yep. does that little jump move and then takes off. It's great. But for then to have, which is, what do you think? This is probably the scene of the movie where he's got the signs. Yeah, I think it's probably the most, one of the most memorable ones, if not the most memorable. You know, probably between that and Hugh Grant's dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Which he hated, apparently. Apparently uh, did not want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's he's also though been very open about his vanity in his career. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, he's done a lot of interviews where he's like, "Oh, I'm yes, I'm very vain." Hey, at least he knows it. He's like, when we were doing Bridget Jones's Diary, there was a, definitely a competition between me and Colin Firth as to he was better looking or you know if if he came in a little thinner than me, I had to try and get a little more fit and stuff like that. Like he's very <laughs> humorously to me. I don't know if he's a jerk about it in real life, but humorously to me, he is open about that vanity. Yeah, but. I just feel like that's the signs. I'm like, you're still hitting on your best friend's wife. Yeah, you are. It's awful. By the way, Kira, you run out and kiss him. That's cheating on your husband. And every time I'm like, what What are we saying here? What is actually... And then when you see them all three together at the end, I, I don't know. I always wonder. I'm like, is something going on on the side? What What is exactly happening here with between them? And nobody has talked to him about like like nobody talked to Shibutel by the way is who I'm talking about. No one said yeah. anything to him about this. And I think this again perpetuates one of the things I I hate which is now Andrew Lincoln's character was never asked her out, was never told no, but I think it perpetuates that idea of unrequited love. You can ask and ask and ask and ask no 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 no. Well, you just got to ask her until she says yes. Like no. Yeah. <laughs> like dude, boundaries, man. Mhm. So I I struggle with that, even though I like the people, the scene is romantic. But like when I heard Richard Curtis was like, I wrote four versions or five versions of what he should do, what his uh, uh, scene was going to be. And I gave them to uh, women who worked in the office and they picked this one was the most romantic. I kind of want to talk to them and be like, was that something you actually found romantic or was that something that you were like, of my choices? <laughs> yeah. This one was the most romantic. It's interesting, too, because obviously that's a very memorable scene. And if anyone's in the L.A. area, this is the time of year. I think they're doing it for the second year in a row. They do Love Actually Live at the Wallace. And I went and saw it last year. Uh, it's very enjoyable. You know, it's it's really it's, it's like the movie and they got all the stuff you'd love. But you go out to the lobby area and they have the signs there where like they have the signs from the movie and you can also have other things that are on the signs and you can just take pictures with them and everything. And I did find it odd. I was like, I mean, this is a very memorable scene, but this isn't good. What he's doing. No, it's not the scene guys. It's, it's, it's good cinema. Mm-hmm. But I, I, could I just say folks out there in real life, probably like, don't, don't do that. Don't, Mm-mm. Don't hit on other people's spouses, period, but definitely don't hit on like your best friend's spouses. That's it's not great. 
as as Billy Mack would say, uh, uh, tip from your uncle Billy. <laughs> Don't do that. Which uh, I do. I mean, God, he's just so fucking funny that when he goes on that like British TRL show. Sorry, I know that's yeah, a complete. Yeah. I know that's a complete aside. But when he's like, I got you this felt tipped pen. <laughs> it writes on glass. <laughs> They're just staring at him like, what's he, what's he writing? We've got little pricks. Oh, Billy, uh, a lot of kids watch the show. Oh, yeah. Well, you, play it. Play, play his tip to the kids. Hi, kids. Here's an important message from your Uncle Bill. Don't buy drugs. Become a pop star and they give you them for free. And I do believe uh, it's a commercial break. Thank goodness we'll see you soon. Bye bye. He's right. I mean, he's right. He's right. <laughs> they give them to you for free. But Billy, with his remix, with his cover of his own song, just adding in Christmas instead of love, yep. gets to number one. He does. God bless him. God bless Christmas. And, I mean, the, the Elton John thing, he gets the call from him right away, hilarious, perfect, comes back, and now he wants to be with his manager. You know, he realizes that's his, like, true love as he as he says it, and uh, it, it was nice, you know what I mean? Because that's his, that's his friend, that's his guy that's been there with him forever, good times and bad, and it's very enjoyable to, to see that happen, but uh, I do love, it's probably not an line that's aged well, but to me it's still hilarious, he's like, you know... 20 minutes 20 minutes at Elton John's and you're as gay as a maypole yep. it's just like hilarious well it's just, I, I think it's also very funny to sit there and believe that like there's an announcement of who wins the Christmas number one pop song <laughs> I know and that Elton John is sitting by his phone now, I haven't seen Rocket Man yet so I don't know if they cover this but that he's sitting by his <laughs> phone waiting for the announcement and like speed dial one was blue and speed dial two was Billy Mack and it was like, yeah. and it's Billy Mac. Boom. Hey, Billy. Why don't you come over for a party? Like, I also, did you ever have Christmas carolers growing up? Did anybody? Never in my life. Never has that ever ne- happened to me. Never seen that. Like, there's a lot of things that I don't know if it is a British thing um, or what, but I'm like, y- y'all seem to do Christmas like hardcore with, we have a Christmas number one award. Yeah. We have... We have campaigns for that shit. We have Chris, like, telling somebody there are carolers at the door is not like, you're fucking lying. I think my friend is hitting on you. <laughs> and then you can tell that it's a recording. Recordings sound different. No. You know, that kind of thing. No, those were the greatest carol singers ever. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Is Speaking of good singers, is now a good time to talk about Joanna? Yeah, the singer that was... Too good? The greatest singer ever? We have to add breath sounds and noise into the track because she sang it too perfectly that people aren't going to believe it. Too good. Too good. Blows Mariah Carey out of the water. I do think this is my favorite version of that song. It's an amazing version. By the way, Mariah Carey can flat sing. Like I, Oh, 100%. Huge fan of Mariah Carey. But this is like... I think part of it might be the... Hold on, a huge fan of Mariah Carey? Is I, that what was just said? Dude, One Sweet Day, don't fuck with me now. One Sweet Day, Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, come on. How many copies of Glitter do you have? The only amount that's that's required, which is zero. <laughs> I didn't say I, I didn't say she's a great actress. I didn't say that movie was great. 
I'm saying Mariah Carey can sing, and I'm a fan. All right. I couldn't name you a Mariah Carey song if my life depended on it. I just told you one sweet day. You've heard that song. Why don't you give me a little sample? I don't, I don't know <laughs> nah, that I have. No, nah, I ain't stupid. I ain't stupid. I can't. <laughs> Let's get Joanna on here. Get her to do it. <laughs> I mean, she's so good. That blew me away in the theater. I firmly believed when I left the theater. I was like, oh, man, they they had they had like an adult sing the song, and, and they just had this actress voice it over. Sort of like what they did at the opening ceremonies at the Beijing Olympics. Uh, <laughs> that's what I thought happened. And when I started reading that, like, no, she's that good and she's actually better than what you heard, how is she not the most famous? This, this is the thing that blows me away about, like, the entertainment industry. How is she? She's still in music. I don't understand how she's not the most famous person uh, in the world. I don't I don't get it either. Just a, But I guess there can only be one Lizzo, right? There can. Oh, so. She also extremely good. I'm not going to shit on Lizzo. <laughs> I'm not shitting on her either. <laughs> But, uh, but. <laughs> I I mean, so good. I am happy, though. I was oddly happy when I saw Love Actually 2. I was like, oh, those two crazy kids wound up together. Yeah. Well, good for them. Nice, right? Good for them. With Liam Neeson sitting there going, I have a lot of money, by the way. <laughs> I'm very, do you need money? I'm very rich. Yes. <laughs> no, she was great. The song with the song choice was awesome. Mm-hmm. The performance was was awesome. I, I always wondered. Now let me. Did you notice this? Maybe this is just me because I think this is pretty much where I've heard the song. I hadn't really heard this song before, like the Mariah Carey version. But when Sam is playing the drums and like the uh, whatever, like you know, whatever the snare, I guess you would call it, kind of stops for a second. When he goes and gives like the little hand signal to to Liam Neeson, I don't think that's part of the song. I just think he interrupted his drum playing to like, you know, give him a little signal, and then he picks it right back up. Yeah, because he's been playing drums for four days. <laughs> that's, it always strikes me as odd. Is like, I mean, I dog, think, you just can't just like be putting your hands wherever you want. Like you're playing music, you keep well, the time. I think I think what probably happened was just like I've been doing this for less than a week. I lost the beat. Let me wait until I can <laughs> pick it up. Okay. Oh, now I found it. I found it. You mean I'm not the only one that did that? That was okay. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> I do love that. In order for us to do this, uh, have that conversation, we were both air drumming. Like you oh, know, like, oh no, of course, <laughs> you're not gonna know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but no, that that scene is that scene is great. We get the Claudia Schiffer introduction there, and Claudia Schiffer married to Matthew Vaughn in real life. Surprisingly, did not know that. Matt but, Vaughn, uh, seriously? Yeah, yeah, kick ass, Matt Vaughn. And uh, by the way, just as uh, for everybody to go check out her music career, I, I haven't, but Olivia Olson is who played Joanna. I just, I so good. Just such a good singer. Um, but yeah, they set up the Claudia Schiffer thing, which is a very, another really good meet cute. It's still, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell anybody how to grieve. Honestly, I'm not going to no, tell anybody how no, to grieve. No, It feels quick. Yep. But uh, no, I... I all the conceit, like I buy into all the conceits of the movie, even the, even the idiotic, like. But I love it. Like I love when David meets uh, Martina McCutcheon's family when Natalie's. He finally finds where Natalie. Oh lives. well, yeah, we got to play this quote because like her when when they open the door and the first thing she says, oh, "Where the fuck is my fucking coat?" I love it. Yeah, it's perfect. Of she's perfect. She's perfect. And she's, she's never great. she's never apologetic about it. Even in the beginning where. She swears she's like, oh my god, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's not really like 
oh my god, please bless me with whatever to forgive me for what she's just like, oh, I no, 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 up. yeah. Because even when he walks away, she's kind of looking at the older uh, steward that's there, and she's like, oh, do you think, yep. did, did you see what I did? She's like, yeah. She's like, I just kind of word vomit. It, yeah, it's exactly. not this like I'm going to apologize for who I am thing, which I love. Like I love mm-hmm. that confidence. He gets in the car and she's like not apologizing or shy about sending that card. She's just like, look, he's the president, which, by the way, we, we didn't talk about Billy Bob Thornton. We did not. No, he he's a little too perfect in that role. What? Like, first of all, what the fuck was he doing in that movie? That's what I love about <laughs> Billy, though, because I've listened to interviews with him where he's like, if you call and it's something cool, like I'll do it. Well, he needs money. <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton spent I've listened to him on several interviews that man will spend whatever he makes and spend it right away so he takes roles just because like I need I need the dough like simple as that that's that's crazy yeah I think that's why he did that uh uh school for scoundrels movie that he did like in some of those where it was just like fuck it's a paycheck man I got I got to do this <laughs> It shows in School for Scoundrels. Yes, it it you can tell when he does not give a shit when he had Norton's that. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, the Italian job. Oh boy. Season twenty of uh of cigarette burns. We'll get into the Italian job. <laughs> uh, but yeah, his like I guess he was probably just trying to be an amalgamation of both George W. Bush and Bill Clinton. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, That's, it had to be that. You know. Uh, you know. And here's the other thing. Would the prime minister, really, if he's meeting with the president one-on-one after both sides have met, have to go get a folder himself and leave the room? I mean, I've never been in that situation. But there's, like, no way. I'm going to buy it. I, I, I'm i curious. Maybe this is just because I, I'm a bit of a political junkie. I'm curious what the plan was. They, like, this is <laughs> the like- <laughs> secret plan. I, I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm curious. But, yeah, that whole... That whole thing was, if I had to pick something I would like redone, it would be not 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 having the U.S. president do something. Like I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I just felt like that scene was a little rushed. I don't know if there was more to it at some point, but it seemed a little seemed a little rushed. Can we also talk about the fact that you know her boyfriend said she was getting too fat? And then her dad calls her plumpy. And every time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, the woman is perfect. What the fuck's going on here? Yeah. And, and even the, uh, and this is, this is probably a good time to have the conversation I wanted to have earlier about the fixation on, yes. on women's bodies. Yes. So I, you, you hit it like perfectly on my outline here because I wanted to talk about how when he reassigns her, uh, that the, his like chief of staff or whatever is like, oh, the, the chubby one or whatever. And he's like, oh, what do we call her chubby? <laughs> Um, which is great delivery, by the way, by me, yes, by me, yes. not, not really him, but by Oh me. no, no, not you, 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 you did it. Yeah. Um, but like this, this constant concept of like that Martin McCutcheon was in any capacity overweight. Now, after this movie, um, it's, it's fairly well documented. She went through some, some issues, um, eating disorders and, and things like that, which is excruciatingly hard to hear. And I, I hate that she went through those. And I I don't know if this movie, this role ticked those in or if they were, they, they existed before the movie or whatever. But I think this movie, and I don't, I'm not saying that it pulls it off because I don't know that it does, is trying to say something about what women are supposed to look like. In doing that, 
I think that there's a lot of bizarre fixation on like Aurelia when she takes her clothes off to jump in the water. The slow motion and the fixation of like what color is her underwear going to be? Yes. All that. Yeah, exactly. Um, The fixation like there's a lot of shots like that that I think take away from the larger perception of Emma Thompson wore a fat suit because it's expected mm-hmm. that moms would be that. And even like, by the way, with the quote fat suit, I'm looking at Emma Thompson going, I, I don't see an overweight person. Um, no, I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, with Natalie's character being considered chubby, it's insane. And I think, I think making that comment, like, are you kidding me with, yeah, with thinking that this is overweight. And I, I like that, you know, David, continues to be like, I don't understand. Like, that's insane. That's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. But then we have the scenes where, like, we never needed to follow uh, Maya home from the Christmas party where she was wearing those weird devil ear thingies. Yeah. Devil horns. Yeah. Uh, we never needed to see her take off her nightie to show what underwear she was wearing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we never needed to see Rodrigo Santoro take it. Oh, sorry. Uh. <laughs> but, no, we, we didn't... We didn't need to. We didn't. Need, we didn't need to do the fixation on Aurelia that way. Um, yeah. it, it was. It. It's really. Again, to take something out of the movie, I would do those scenes. Whatever you're trying to get across in those scenes, there's probably a different way to do it because it also doesn't make actual sense in the scene to be like it's December in France and she's getting ready to jump into a lake. Mm-hmm. Let me get all my clothes off so it's extra cold. Yeah. Well, do you also want me to go a step further and go down the crazy Twitter rabbit hole of, so because her sister is overweight, she has no value and the father will just give her to any fucking person who who wants her? I was getting ready to get there. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, you take it away. Cause, uh, no, no. That's all I was going to say. That's no. All that, it, you, it, you go ahead. No. And what I was where I was going with that was like, we fixate on Aurelia, but she even mentions... Like, don't eat all of that, or do you want some of this uh, croissant or whatever? And she's like, oh, if you saw my sister, you'd understand. And then yeah. we see the sister and calls her, like, Miss Dunkin' Donuts 2003, which is a thoroughly yep. unnecessary yep. Uh-huh. thing to happen. Uh-huh. And, like, you per- I mean, you, you, you perfectly explained it. Oh, she's worthless. I'll pay him to take you because you're overweight. Yeah. And... and mm-hmm. I think the point that it's trying to to make sometimes gets blunted because of probably shortcut writing. Mm-hmm. Going, it's easy. It's, it's low hanging it's fruit. It's very very easy to do, um, mm-hmm. and tying people's worth, particularly women's worth, to uh, clothing size really is the main thing that I would like rewritten in this movie. Because it's not, it doesn't need to be done. The comment that you can make on it is already done by the art in the art gallery, by uh, you know when he's showing the supermodels and all that stuff. Like that point is well made, but then it's completely overshadowed by, like you said, perfectly low hanging fruit. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I agree with you on that. It's I expect more. Yeah, and and especially when it's so superfluous to the story, like it just there's no need to do that whatsoever. Like we get that Maya wants to sleep with Alan Rickman. I don't need to see her in her underwear. We Mm -hmm. get like, we get that Laura Linney for whatever reason feels like Carl is out of her league. So 
he has to tell her, you are beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's that he has to get, or, or she has to get validation from the man in order to feel that. Where we weren't really, I, I never got the int- the feeling she thought she wasn't. Right, no, not at all. You know? Not at all. So I, I feel like those are certain speed bumps that this movie could have, I think, fairly easily avoided. I do like when Jamie and Aurelia obviously get together and he goes after her. We get this this great quote when he goes to his family's house, open the door, and he wants to leave, and the kids say, I mean, I laughed when I first heard it. Yep. When I found out why, it might be the best piece of screenwriting ever. Why was that? What was what's the story there? Because uh, Richard Curtis has a brother named Jamie. Okay. <laughs> and he wanted to have a line in a movie where he had kids saying, I hate Uncle Jamie. That's too perfect. <laughs> so I was, love that. So he wrote, he's like, oh, well, we'll call Colin first character Jamie. Because that way, <laughs> forever. That is hilarious. Forever, I can hit play on one of my movies and it's just, I hate Uncle Jamie. I hate Uncle Jamie. I hate Uncle Jamie. <laughs> That's great. That's expert level trolling, and that that is siblinghood right there. That is yes. That is shit. And and in in while we are uh, sort of weighing siblinghood, um, because Jamie, real shit brother, real shit brother. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. R- Richard Curtis. I'm not real sure how, where that hangs yet. I think that's hilarious, um, but I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously, Laura Linney is the greatest sister on earth. Because I think, honestly, in a real sense, there is zero chance that phone ever gets picked up in that situation. Oh, totally. Zero chance. Like, like I'm sorry, Mallory, you don't have that good a brother. <laughs> you will never have that good of a brother. It's just, it's it's complete nonsense to me. But, uh, yeah, I thought that that was some genius screenwriting. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. And, honestly, I, I think... I think this is the type of movie, along with like Four Weddings and Notting Hill, I'm not as big. Uh, I liked Bridget Jones's Diary. I didn't like the sequel as much, Bridget Jones's Baby. Um, but this is why the bar for Richard Curtis for me is so high, and why I'm super disappointed in you know some of the things that we mentioned earlier because it's there when he wants it. Oh yeah, wasn't there a third Bridget Jones, like Edge of Reason or some shit? Maybe that was the sequel. I didn't like. I didn't like the sequel. I really enjoyed the first okay. one. Um, okay. Maybe there were two sequels where it was Bridget Jones: Edge of Reason, Bridget Jones's Baby. Maybe with uh, uh, Patrick um, Dempsey. Thank you. I couldn't get Duffy out of my head. That wasn't right. <laughs> that was not right. Neither was Fugit. <laughs> oh, few, I wouldn't have minded the Fugues. No, the Fugues. Love the Fugues. You know, so like seeing Jamie and Aurelia get together, his proposal, it's great. She worked on her English while he was working on his Portuguese. Um, I do want to I do want to go back to a scene, though, when they they're meet cute. Uh-huh. I just want to play this because the housekeeping manager who brings her over, she is fucking perfect. Oh. And you talk about a heat check. Yeah, oh yeah. Like she just comes in and she's like, 10 threes, I'm out. <laughs> Here you go. I mean, just just listen to this. It's so perfect. This is Aurelia. Ah. Uh, bonjour, Aurelia. Bonjour. Uh, je suis uh, très heureux de vous avoir ici. Unfortunately, she cannot speak French. Just like you. She's Portuguese. 
buongiorno. Giuseppe. Molto bueno. I think she's 10 years too young to remember there was a footballer called Zebio. And uh, Molto Bueno is Spanish. Right, right. Uh, well, anyway, it's nice to meet you. Um, Perhaps you can drive her home at the end of her work. Oh, absolutely. That's a con, con grande uh, plesora. Uh, Which is what? Turkish? <laughs> what was that, Turkish? I mean, <laughs> I love it. Unfortunately, she doesn't speak French, just like you. <laughs> just like you it's just oh i love it man every time that 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 yep. kills me no this the uh the supporting cast in this is is great um and the mom uh natalie's mom when she's like that's a that's a lot of legs david <laughs> yes yes it took me months He's to make the octopus, the octopus. there's a lot of legs and it's like this is the first time all the schools in the area are getting together. It's like, and the other thing too is, I know he's prime minister, but he's a shit uncle because they're like, oh, I always send these to your secretaries, and he's like, yeah, you know, I figured I fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, you don't give a shit about these kids. And by the way, let's talk about Rickman right now, uh, since we're talking about some shitty stuff people are doing. Yeah, cheating is never good. Let us start. No. Let us start no. with that baseline. You are going to cheat on your wife, whose brother is the prime minister. Uh huh. Dumb. The size of those balls. Mm hmm. To to quote the great Bill Hicks, you must have a specially fitted uniform in which to fit these enormous balls. <laughs> because holy shit. Yeah. No kidding. And I also, I just love that that ties into the uh, earlier when he's like, I can have your boyfriend killed. I have specially trained killers just a phone call away. I'm like, oh, Alan Rickman, that's how you, that's how you're going to get killed in this movie is. Well, you know, there was a cut of this thing where he was going door to door to try to find Natalie and he goes next door and there's Mia. But there was a cut where, or at least a rough draft on the script where Rickman was there. Yep. And he answered the fucking door. Totally agree with you. I would love that. I would love to see that. So, I mean, Jamie and Aurelia get together. We got the whole scene with Sam. Trying to get Joanna at the airport. We we briefly touched on that. They they get a connection. It ends happy for some people. It ends not so happy for other people. But all the stories kind of I don't want to say they converge, but they all come to their own conclusion. Yep. And uh, you know the little little epilogue at the end there, where they're all coming back at the arrivals, and you you see everyone come through and Colin is coming back with uh, Shannon Elizabeth and Denise Richards and it's all it all works it's all great why the accents any just I you know I don't know I have no idea I, I didn't I didn't get that but I do like because they're from Wisconsin man I don't they sounded like Texas accents or yeah, something right and we have no information that he's like gone on a trip through the United States <laughs> but uh, I did like the bookend of Heathrow Heathrow I'm willing. Yep. I'm willing to forgive the concept that the prime minister comes through the same arrivals gate as yep. Colin Frissle. Um, I <laughs> yep. also. Yep. I'm also willing to forgive the idea that Natalie and David haven't spoken about like when I'm coming in an airport and there's going to be a lot of reporters around. You can't bum rush everybody, jump onto me, and start <laughs> making out with me. First of all, she would have been shot. Yeah, if you see someone running right. after. The fucking right. prime minister. Right. <laughs> and I always have to think, like, 
I don't know if it was, again, like epic British American trolling, but she's wearing a beret. Uh huh. Uh huh. And the final scene. I see where you're going there. I see where you're going. I'm like, man, that's that's next level shit right there. But uh, no, you're no no shit there. No but, shit. But no blue dress though, right? Nope. All red. All red. it's Christmas movie, <laughs> my man. Christmas, Christmas. movie. But uh, I, I mean, this is people talk about this as a bad movie, as not a good like it's not really a Christmas movie. It's, it's like, what more do you want? There's phenomenal music. There's great performances. You have kids, which I think is is central to a great Christmas movie. Um, uh-huh. You have really good uh, kid performances, and mostly, I would call a happy ending. Mostly, absolutely, um, yeah. And to pull off something like this, I think, and, and you know, we've talked about it before, pulling off these gigantic ensemble films where you know, Knives Out's the big ensemble this year, I guess I would say, but that's all yes. telling one story. Mm-hmm. This is a gigantic ensemble telling multiple different stories. Yes. That's an incredibly difficult thing, and I'm not entirely sure I've seen a movie do it better than this. I agree with you. I can't think of one either. And I I will watch this five or six times during, like, from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Like, this is one of those that you just throw on. There's just you nothing. You just throw it on. There, there's problems with it. That's, that's okay. Um, it's worth it to talk about. But all in all, this is a great fucking movie with wonderful performances. I cannot understand for the life of me people who wouldn't like this thing. I don't have time for those people. <laughs> yeah, those people. That's it. You, you, you people and Carl can get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> Pump your brakes, kid. <laughs> so uh, should we talk real quick about Love Actually 2? Like super quick. Sure. Yeah, it's been a while since I watched it. So why don't you lead us so, off? I'll just tell everybody like this is what goes down. Uh, Rickman definitely cheated, but Rickman and Emma Thompson not in it because he had passed away before they did it. Uh, this was all for Red Nose Day, the comic relief uh, charity for mm-hmm. kids. Uh, Joanna co- Joanna comes back. He or she and Sammy met again. They like reconnected. So I was glad that the story wasn't they've been together since they were nine. Yeah, yeah. They reconnected in New York, I believe it was. Um, they were both doing music, and she comes back to England to ask. Uh, Liam Neeson for Sammy's hand in marriage, which I thought was very adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hugh has been elected prime minister again after five Obviously. years out of office. Dances again. Hated dancing again. Um, <laughs> Martine's there, supported. They're married. They're together, which is great. great. Um, unfortunately, Nye's manager died. Um, but mm-hmm. that's a very funny scene where he's at the radio and they bring back all the original cast members. So the DJ is the same guy and yeah. he's like, what happened to your manager? He's like, well, he was a very big man, very big heart, <laughs> very big heart attack. <laughs> so yeah. they, they still have some fun with that. Jamie and O'Reilly, like you said, seem to be right where the, I would expect them to be. Um, yeah. Doing perfect. Just, just having the, the perfect life, which is wonderful. Still can't speak Portuguese, but they're adorable kids all that um and then they do the sign uh, again it all starts out with mark coming back uh and doing the sign thing with kira knightley although that's the one that doesn't quite make sense because he's like it's been i don't know 13 or 14 years since i've been here it's like no nah, man you were with the at the airport with him right after christmas um, yeah yeah but he's married to kate moss now mm-hmm. um they, mm-hmm. they make fun of his walking dead beard which i thought was really funny <laughs> yeah. um, enjoyed all that and it was just I think sometimes that's the sequel I want 
I don't I don't know that I want a Love Actually two full feature. The check-in was like all I wanted, and, and for some reason I know it was done for a specific purpose. You know, not to necessarily dive into the Bible of the movie, but something about it makes me feel so much better that I know what all these people are doing. I don't know why that is. I agree with you. No, I I feel the same way. It's good to know. You know, the writer doesn't necessarily know exactly where the story is going to go afterwards. He's got to figure it out just like everyone else. But it's nice when it fits what you would have in your mind. And it's like it feels like it's worth it to the characters. It fits what they would do. Yeah, I I just it was weird to have that warmth because when I watched it, I was like, oh, it's going to be like a long commercial. I'm like, I I actually liked it. And I liked what happened with the characters. And uh, that's why short films are important, folks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. really good. So did we did we miss anything? I don't think so. I think we got it. I think we got it all. Because I could easily talk about this movie for another like six hours. Oh no, kidding. Same here. But I think I think we pretty much hit all the stuff I wanted to talk about. All right. Yeah, I think I got it. this. Was it's funny because like this is a really hard one to take chronologically, just because like I said, I think I got to like seventy eight scenes or something is what I had written down. Yeah, that's a lot of scenes, but it's uh, a lot of scenes. But th- the thing that I'll always take away from this movie is that hope and joy and love and happiness and all of those things are attainable, and that is the point of whatever it is that we're doing here. And I like that it says that that's what the thesis is at the beginning, and it holds that thesis throughout the movie. I agree with you. You know, and and in the end, those are the ones that are gonna really be powerful for you, and what you're gonna feel. At the end, yeah, you're not you're not dying and going anger and all that. You're thinking back on the loved ones and the love that you've had, and that's what kind of keeps you keeps you going in the core. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, with that, do you have any recommendations? I do. I'm gonna actually stick with a Christmas theme here. Um, I got three recommendations: The Holiday. I fucking love that movie. Seen that so many times, dude. Dude, the fucking Holiday. Oh, I God, Kate Winslet. You know what? Next year, Christmas, I would not be shocked if we were doing the holiday. Cause oh, no, for I, sure. For I sure. will do a Kate Winslet, Eli Wallach love story all day long. Me too. Uh, another one, Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Love that film. Saw that numerous times. We've we briefly discussed it uh, in the past. Yeah. And another one, you know, Die Hard. Definitely yeah. great Christmas film. If you go to the new Beverly Cinema, Quentin Tarantino's theater, always plays out on Christmas. And Quentin is usually there. I don't know if he will be this year with his wife and his, you know, she's pregnant and all that. But normally he's there on Christmas watching Die Hard. Uh, but don't go up to him. I have a friend who went there and they were sitting down and Quentin actually sat behind them. And so many people would come up to him and be like, oh, wow, you're, you know, can I get a picture? He's like, no, I'm just here to watch the fucking movie. Can you just sit down? Like, just I'm just here to watch a fucking movie, dude. That makes sense. Although I will, yeah. I will say, no, you're not, Quentin. <laughs> Sorry, I love you, man, but no, you're not. If you were just there to watch the movie, I think, I think you may have a DVD player at least at your house. Uh, he wants to watch that on 35 mil. Come on, I'm willing to bet he's got a 35 mil projector at his house too. <laughs> I'm sure he does too. I'm sure he does. But too. Uh, no, those what about are, you, those man? What do you got uh, recommendation wise? So I am. I think Christmas movies are really interesting. Uh, there's a ton of really good ones, and I like a lot of bad ones, to be honest with you. But these are not too bad ones. These are not guilty pleasures to me. I think these are good. I love a Christmas story. Oh, uh, so do I. I don't think there is a Christmas movie. There might not be an actual movie out there that captures 
what a kid feels about a specific thing more than a Christmas story captures what a 10 year old kid feels about Christmas. And, Mm. you know, when you still believe it's Santa, but you know, it might be at the end of that run, but you're just like, Oh, I just, it runs on TBS 24 hours. I think everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. And in my house, starting at about, well, starting, I think at 7 PM, 6 or 7 PM on Christmas Eve is when they start running it. And I yep. just and it just runs. It's it's on the whole time. I wake up in the morning. It's on, and uh, I love that movie. It's so incredibly good. And that is Christmas to me. Like it didn't matter when I moved away from cold weather to warm weather. I I can still drink hot chocolate when I'm watching a Christmas story. So I love that. And then my other one is a movie that's sort of bit of a mess, but it is so funny in so many parts that I love it. Which is. Uh, my favorite version of A Christmas Carol, Scrooged with Bill Murray. The Bill Murray, yeah. Yeah, love that movie. I just, it could have been better. Like when you when you watch it, you're just like, ah, it's got, it needed some tightening, but this was Bill Murray. Just, you, you just run, man. You just, this was boxing one. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I love it. And it, the wit in that movie is so good. I just... I don't actually watch A Christmas Carol anymore because I used to always watch A Christmas Carol. But when I got locked into Scrooge when I was like twelve or thirteen, I'm like, oh, this is this is these are the That's money beats. jam. Yeah, these are the money beats right here. This one. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think with that, guys, have a fantastic holiday. Have a great New Year. Um, we hope you watch some good movies. There's so much good stuff coming out. I know we kind of keep saying that ad nauseum, but it's true. Yeah, so much good stuff, guys. Actually, and. Given that it's the end of a decade, uh, for the next episode here that we're going to ideally get out before the end of the year, we are going to cover what our favorite film is from each year of the last decade and then kind of crown a champion yep. Uh, yep. for us. So should be a very interesting episode. Should be a long one, but it should be good. It's going to have a good spark, spark a good discussion. Yeah. And, and we're not going to we're not going to compare them beforehand. I'm just going to make my list. Jeff's going to make his list. And then when exactly. we record, we're going to figure out where we uh, came from. But we will definitely I'm promising we will get that out before the end of the year. But thank you guys so much for uh, hanging out with us again and letting us go a little longer on Love Actually. But it's such a great movie. And this is my favorite time of year. So like I said, guys, have a great holiday. Have a great new year. And uh, as usual, you can catch us at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at cigaretteburnspodcast at yahoo.com. And We love hearing your suggestions. We love hearing all your comments. It's been fantastic. And we will catch you next time. Christmas is all around us. (laughs) Later, burners. Later. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own More than you could ever know Make my wish come true